Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. And I am Taylor of Terror. Thanks for coming back and listening to us once again. Um, hope you enjoyed that drunken cinema. We were definitely drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it this time. I don't remember if I enjoyed it the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we consequently decided to do that the night before we were going to record. This is actually our second attempt at recording this episode. Not because we had to like stop and throw up or anything. Yeah. Um, although I'm sure we both felt like we needed to uh, pretty much the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, our recording got fucked up and now we're redoing it. So, um, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Yeah, I I hope that because even though we were hungover as fuck, I that that episode actually turned out pretty good. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that we can kind of recapture that. Um, or best it. Yeah. Uh, the last version ran a little long, so we're going to try and not do that this time. So uh, why don't we just? Or is there anything you want to mention? I can't remember if you said anything before we got it. Uh, Frightening 4. Right. Of the Remake Madness tournament. We are almost there. Mm-hmm. We are down to the uh, the conference champions. Although by the time this airs, uh, Frightening 4 will have ended. We'll da- be down to the finals. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> the finals have started, and it's... Movie A versus Movie B. <laughs> Where, what are our uh, four contenders? They are Friday the 13th, which is facing off against the Crazies, and Evil Dead, which is facing off against Cinderella Story, you might say, the Amityville Horror, <laughs> sixth seed, making it into the final four. Yeah. Um, and th- honestly, this la- round, the, the pen, uh, Frightening Four that we're in right now, it's been a little lackluster as far as votes go. Um, yeah, so. but most of the rounds haven't really picked up until the last couple days. That's true enough. Um, but we really hope to get a lot of votes for the finals. Yeah. Um, we're going to be pushing it pretty hard, um, and that's what she said. hey <laughs> So, yeah, we're going to be blowing up your Twitter feed. And Facebook. Uh, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. We have an Instagram now, by the way. We haven't mentioned that on the show. Yeah. Uh, I... I I don't look at Instagram very often. I know I'm following the show's Instagram. Have you been posting stuff? Yeah. Okay. Not like a lot, but... All right. It's harder to find, like, relevant pictures to go with what I'm trying to say rather than just saying words. Uh, I, I can imagine. Um, all right. So, without further ado, horror business. So last episode, we talked about a little bit of real-life news um, that was horror-related. talked about Slenderman and a stabbing that was basically intended to be a sacrifice to Slenderman. Um, we're going to continue the trend here with a little more real-life news. Uh, in Naples, that's uh, that's Italy for you folks at home, um, uh, college student Eric, Erica Stella... Uh, Stella! <laughs> Uh, she's doing her dissertation on uh, Naples' Santa Maria La Nova Church. Um, 
And while kind of digging around that church, she kind of uncovered, well, not necessarily uncovered, she happened across a headstone um, that she's pretty, sh- her and um, a few other researchers are pretty sure actually belongs to the real Dracula. Dracula. Um, as a lot of you know, uh, Vlad Dracul, Vlad Tepish. Uh, the third. The third, uh, Vlad the Impaler, um, was the inspiration for the Bram Stoker <clears throat> novel. Um, not a real vampire. Uh, anyway, when he was a, a warlord, basically, and near the end of his life, he just kind of disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to him. Nobody, I mean, assuming he, he died at some point, uh, but nobody knew where his body was. Unless he is a real-life vampire. Maybe. Maybe he's still out there. He could be a real-life vampire. Uh, so, yeah, um, they discovered a headstone that was covered in um, Transylvanian symbols. Um, uh, Raffaello Glini is a medieval history scholar, and he says, uh, when you look at the bas-relief sculptures, um, the symbolism is obvious. The dragon means Dracula. And the two opposing sphinxes represent the city of Thebes, also known as Tepish. Uh, in these symbols, the very name of the Count Dracula Tepish is written. So, um, it's pretty obvious who it belongs to. I mean, um, I mean, they know where his father was buried, I, I think. So it's not a big secret to discover his grave. Um, so I don't know who else it could be. I mean, I know that... I, I, think the the order of the dragon was actually more like a uh, a, a club <laughs> for lack of a better word um he man woman haters club yeah uh so i don't know i guess theoretically it could be anybody from the order of the dragon but i think in all likelihood it does belong to uh prince vlad sure sounds that way yeah um so what's next you may ask they're going to open it um, instead of just leaving it alone, as a lot of you know superstitious people might. They're going to open it up. Um, of course, they're asking the authorities first. <laughs> uh, they're not just going to you know desecrate a, uh, a grave before they uh, get permission. But um, there are some pictures of it floating around on the internet. Um, the place where we actually pulled this article from is bloody disgusting. Uh, I'm sure if you just go to Google and you know image search Dracula's headstone, you could probably find it. Um, so, uh, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't really see the point in opening it personally, but I guess for research sake, whatever. Yeah, I mean. Unless they have some kind of DNA specimen on file for him, I don't know how they're going to verify that the body inside is even him. That's a good point. If there even is a body. What if just a bat flies out? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck! The stories are true! Get him! Get him! Don't let him get away! (laughs) Uh, So, um, this is pretty interesting. Um, Don't get a lot of... Real life horror stories. I mean, aside from you know people being murdered, but yeah, things that kind of aren't depressing. Yeah, I guess fictional stories are based in in 
nonfiction. Um, you know, get a lot of things related to that. So it's pretty cool to to read about this. And uh, if you want to learn more, I'm sure this is going to be an ongoing thing. Uh, I don't know how regular the ongoing news will be, but uh, check into it yourself if you're uh, a big Dracula fan, like myself. <laughs> discussed before a French program called Les Revenances, which uh, roughly translates to The Returned. Mm-hmm. It's billed as a zombie program. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's basically about people that come back to life and did, are just normal again. Did you see what I did there? It's not. Yeah. No, like, like boogers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's it's being adapted for uh, American television as a miniseries. It's going to start Jeremy Sisto, who is making somewhat of a return to horror. He was in the movie May and Wrong Turn, and hasn't really done much horror since. He's been on, was it Law & Order? Yeah, um, I think it was just regular Law & <clears throat> Order. It wasn't any of the, the, bum, bum. the spinoffs. But I think he's most famously known as Elton from Clueless. Of course. <laughs> so he'll be uh, in this show along with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is best known as Ramona Flowers. Fine. Uh, also appeared in The Thing. Yep. Um, so she's, she also has some background with horror. Also, She was uh, also in one of the Final Destinations. I can't remember which one, but... I want to say two... I don't think it was two. I think it was like maybe three or four. Okay, might have been three then. She was also in um, Death Proof. Mm, right. She was. So, it's got some star power in it. Um, it's going to be ten episodes on A&E, who, as we know, just recently got into horror television with Bates Motel. Yeah. And we speculated <clears throat> the possibility of um, them picking up the Friday the 13th series. That's right. I mean, there's no official thing whatsoever on that. No, it's just our own speculation, but... Yeah, well, uh, so the, the return uh, focuses on a small town that is turned upside down. <coughs> Unprofessional. The return focuses on a small town that is turned upside down when several local people who have been long presumed dead suddenly reappear, bringing with them both positive and detrimental consequences. Yeah, um, just to, like Taylor said, it's not a, it's build a zombie show, or kind of a, somewhat of a zombie show it's really not these people i mean they yeah like came back from the dead but there's they're all they're alive they're not like shambling dead zombie things i mean it, it, i don't know and i could have sworn they restarted this thing on like one of the turner channels uh i don't remember what what channel it was on but yeah there was a tv show called resurrected i think and it, it was like the exact same premise yeah and it had Kurtwood Smith and mm-hmm. uh, Omar Epps. Yeah, um, I don't. You, I don't. I, I haven't heard anything about it. I don't know if it's even still on. It may have been canceled. Maybe I did it even start. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it couldn't have been very good. I thought that was an American version of Les Revenants, so I didn't even bother paying yeah. attention to it because I figured it sucked. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if if you liked the return maybe give this a shot i mean i'll I'll probably at least watch the pilot just 
based solely on the fact that Jeremy Sisto and Mary Elizabeth Winstead are in it. Yeah. I can remember watching the pilot. I think it was, or the, sorry, the first episode of the original, the French version. Um, and I think it was an hour long. Um, and I got so bored and so just off track that I thought I had already gone into like the second episode. And, and you know, much to my surprise, like Jesus Christ, I'm still on the first fucking episode. So it's very slow. Um, and that just could be because cause it's French. I don't know. I don't either. You know, foreign things. I mean, it, it takes a certain taste for foreign cinema and television, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Anything else? Nope. All right. Back in March, around St. Patrick's Day, we talked to you about our disappointment. <laughs> they were not releasing Leprechaun Origins on St. Patrick's Day for some reason. They're doing they're releasing it in August. Well, maybe they just figured that made too much sense. Yeah, it's like we want to do. We don't want to be obvious. Yeah, they'll never see it coming. <laughs> um, but what they did give it give to us on um, St. Patrick's Day was a, a teaser for um, Leprechaun Origins. Sorry, brain fart. Um, and it showed nothing. There's <laughs> basically no point even in watching it. Um, but now they've actually released a full trailer for the movie, and it shows uh, nothing. <laughs> it shows some 20-somethings running. Yeah. That's pretty much the entire trailer. And uh, you can't help but notice that the total lack of a leprechaun on the trailer. Right. That's not like that has anything to do with the movie. Yeah. I mean, even even in like a movie like Godzilla, where in the movie itself, they like tried to keep you from seeing what Godzilla looked like. For a long, for most of the movie, I mean, you got glimpses of him, but um, mostly it was just like his back floating through water and his feet and his tail, not just like a full-on view of Godzilla so much. And this is the remake I'm talking about. Um, this, not, but it, sorry, in the trailer they actually showed you Godzilla, showed you what he looked like full on, and this. Not like I said, not even a glimpse of the leprechaun. Yeah, and um, also this movie looks like it's going to be a lot more of a run for your life type action movie rather than um, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe the originals. They weren't as actiony as this one appears to be. Yeah, I agree. No, um, and it, it looks like it takes itself a little too seriously. Uh, it looks like it's it tries to be very dramatic and very action based, very little humor, which is what I thought. Um, mainly Warwick Davis brought to the originals is just that kind of sense of humor, like the the, the Leprechaun was always kind of joking around, kind of whimsical. Yeah, 
Um, this is very gritty. Yeah, it's dark and gritty. I'm waiting for the metal whirs. <laughs> and then Michael Bay's name somewhere. Or Marcus Nispel. Um, yeah. I mean, like, can you imagine a dark, gritty remake to Leprechaun in the Hood? <laughs> God, who would they use as a rapper? You can't get iced tea. You can't be taken seriously anymore. Uh, is DMX still a thing? <laughs> Maybe to someone. <laughs> no, I'll get someone like, I don't know, TI or something. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, August, was it August 15th this was coming out? Um, I'm going to try not to chew into the mic. August 26th. All right. So, um, people are bound to see this, whether it's in the theater or on DVD. Um, so, August 26th is when you can see it in the theater, um, if you're interested at all. Go to YouTube, check out the trailer, see what's what, and then go from there. So, uh, Walking Dead fans will probably be excited to hear this. Um, Ladies. Yep. <laughs> uh, as we know, Season 5 is set to start this October. Woo! <clears throat> uh, <coughs> producer David Alpert recently spoke at the Producers Guild Awards, and he said... I happen to love working from source material, specifically because we have a pretty good idea of what season 10 is going to be. We know we're season 11 and 12. We have benchmarks and milestones for those seasons, if we're lucky enough to get there. So he's looking at 12 seasons of Walking Dead. At least. At least. <clears throat> Which is pretty insane, because, you know, you think of it like a good run for an average TV show is like eight years. And that's pushing it. Yeah. Um, some shows get 10. Um, if you're like... Simpsons is on like 23. Yeah. But, I mean, cartoons, you know, God. How old's Family Guy? Gotta be like 15 years now. Yeah, probably something like that. So, I mean, simple things like that. Yeah, they could fucking run forever. You know, especially when it's like pop culture humor. But, um, the idea of running... Walking Dead for twelve, at least twelve seasons. That's pretty intense. That's going to take that into the year twenty twenty one. That's staggering to think about. Yeah. Um. And I mean, the, like he mentioned, the source material Walking Dead is still an ongoing series. Yeah. Um. Started in two thousand five, I believe. And, uh, and Kirkman's still at it. So. Um, yeah, I don't see this. I, I don't even see it like being a situation like, um, uh, like Scrubs, where it like jumps networks. I don't think AMC is going to let this go. <laughs> no, no. Um, and they're also like we've mentioned before, they're planning a spinoff series. Haven't heard much about that yet. Yeah, that's going to be a little different though, because that's not based on any source material. Sure. Yeah. Um, but to run the two together. Um, 
I, I, I just hope they can keep... I mean... I don't know that the zombie fad will last that long. I don't think people are going to like zombies for that long. I mean, it's it's been a pretty popular thing thus far. I mean, for... God, how, how many years now? Um, probably since... Probably since the Dawn of the Dead remake came out. That was 2004. So I would say probably at least that long. Yeah. Um, just this zombie craze. And um, so for it to last until 2021, that, that might be not likely. I don't know. But um, I just hope they can keep it interesting. Yeah. That's my biggest concern because so many shows they just fizzle. I mean, that's a lot of why a lot of shows get canceled in, in their later years. You know, they have a good strong run. They don't know when to end it, like end on a high note. Yeah. And they just like scrubs. <laughs> um, so I guess if they can keep it, keep a consistency of like season one and season four strength seasons on, you know, the entire run, Perfect. If they, can, if they can keep that going, then awesome. But if it's going to be a run of season twos, then I'm out. I don't. I don't. I don't want to waste my time with it. Yeah, like by now you've set the bar. Yeah. Like season two, you could get away with because it was still new. You're going into season five, and you've set this bar. You need to keep it at that bar. Mm-hmm. And you know they're expecting a lot of their actors too. True. I mean Andrew Lincoln especially because. As, as far as I can tell, Rick is the only original character still alive in the um, in the comics. Um, I'm pretty certain. So Andrew Lincoln, I mean, this show has garnered him a lot of popularity, and I'm sure he's going to have a film career coming pretty soon. Um, and so for him to stay interested in a cable show for that long. And there's no saying that they'll actually keep him in the show that long. Who knows? But And by 2021, he'll be 48 years old. Jesus. Yeah, that's a long time to be playing with zombies. Yeah. Um, so we'll hope for the best. I mean, we're both big fans of Walking Dead, as I'm sure you guys know by now. So we'll hope for the best and um, see how it goes. So, um, about a year ago, there was a movie called uh, Harbinger Down 
that was actually being uh, crowdfunded, uh, crowdfunded, excuse me, um, I think on Indiegogo, I'm not positive, um, called Harbinger Down. Did I say that already? Yes. Ah, well, it's still called Harbinger Down. Um, and it's basically a creature feature. Um, synopsis is a group of grad students have booked passage on the fishing trawler Harbinger to study the effects of global warming on a pod of orcas in the Bering Sea. When the ship's crew dredges up a th- recently thawed piece of old Soviet space wreckage, things get downright deadly. It seems that the Russians experiment with tardigrades, a tiny resilient animal able to withstand extremes of uh, the extremes of space radiation. The creatures have survived, but not without mutation. Now the crew is exposed to aggressively mutating organisms, and after being locked in ice for three decades, the creatures aren't about to give up the warmth of human companionship. So, um, it's basically, it's a creature creature feature. Um, Called Harbinger Down. Yep. Still Harbinger Down. Um, And what caught my eye about this, and the main reason I'm talking about it, is this movie is done entirely with animatronic and like practical animatronic and makeup effects not a lick of cgi and that's just something you don't see anymore yeah um that's written and directed by alec gillis and uh tom woodruff jr who's uh, always the producer yeah he's he's the founder of adi which what what is that i think it's some production company Maybe the production company that's making it, or the, the, the maybe Alex Gillis, Alec Gillis owns. I don't know, um, but it does have a little bit of star power. <laughs> uh, Lance Hendrickson stars in it. Um, you know, for however much star power he has, so it's not an entirely. You know, it's not an entire cast of unknowns. You know, people at least recognize. Uh, Lance Hendrickson. Amalgamated Dynamics Incorporated. There you go. Um, and this, uh, the film is, cre- or like the, the creatures in the film are made by the same creature creators from Alien vs. Predator and Starship Troopers. That's Amalgamated Dynamics. There you go. <laughs> um, and also The Thing, the remake. Oh, which was a lot of CGI. <laughs> it was a lot of CGI. There was very little animatronics in that movie. But um, regardless. Um, they also did G-Force with the gerbils. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so movies like Alien vs. Predator, uh, you know, that movie sucked. But you have to admit the costumes and the aliens, they, they looked awesome. Um, and, you know, Starship Troopers... A lot of people think that movie's shit, but it's awesome. Jake Busey, come on. Yeah, fucking A. Um, and fucking Doogie. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so this is an awesome movie. Uh, I th- they're, they're, you don't know that. It sounds awesome. It, Fuck you. It could be a turd. You could be a turd. I could, but I'm not. You are. Look at your face. You don't say those things. Um... Anyway, so there, there's a trailer online, um, and it looks pretty cool. Um, so I would very much recommend going and checking it out for yourself. Um, 
I don't think they're. I mean, they're actually making the movie, or or it's made. Um, one of the two. Um, so I don't think they're actually looking for funds anymore. But I know they're going to be looking for a lot of support when they do release the movie. So go check it out. Spread the word. Let people know about Harbinger Down. And you um, you, you can check them out at harbingerdown.com. Thank you. Last October, we had a whole bit about different haunted houses, and one of the ones we discussed was Rob Zombie's Great American Nightmare. And it sounded really fucking awesome. Yes, and good news is, it's back. Woo! Uh, here it is, only June, but yet we've we've already gotten word that Great American Nightmare will return. Uh, it's it, it was in L.A. last year. It's going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona this year. Which is an interesting choice. Yeah. I don't know if that was like tax breaks or... I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I gotta imagine rent is cheaper in, in Scottsdale than it yeah. is in L.A., but I feel like you probably draw more people in L.A. than you would... One would think. Yeah. But it's going to run from September 19th to November 1st. So it's going to have a good long run. Yeah, that's a very long run. Uh, I don't. I don't know for sure, but I. Don't, I don't think last year's ran that long. I don't believe so. No. Yeah. Um. The September nineteenth opening night will feature a special one night only concert with the groundbreaking musician and filmmaker Rob Zombie himself. Um, he's quoted as saying, "The first year was such a blast. I'm thrilled to be able to be able to take the Great American Nightmare to a new city this year." My only goal is to make it even sicker than last year. It's interesting that he's performing opening night. Because last year, I remember, he performed on the last night. Yeah, he closed it out. And um, the, the thing, like, last year there were several bands that played. Like, the, I think there was, like, one or two bands that played, like, every night. Yeah, I remember, like, Power Man 5000 played one night. The Vandals played one night. Yeah, I didn't, I think Real Big Fish yeah, played. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Um, so, you know, an assortment of music, kind yeah. of a little something for everyone. Um, but uh, so far, at least, the only thing they have listed on their website is Rob Zombie. I wonder if it's just because it's not L.A. that they don't need to have as much fanfare or... Maybe. I mean, but, you know, he's talking about making it essentially bigger and better than last year. Yeah. So you'd think he'd want some musical acts. Maybe more focus on the Haunted House itself. That could be. Let's talk about those. Okay. It's going to be three exhibits, uh, all based on Rob Zombie feature films. Uh, The first of which is The Lords of Salem in Total Blackout, which, without reading the description, my first thought is obviously Blackout Haunted House. Right. In uh, New York, Chicago, and L.A. Right. Yeah. Which we discussed in our Halloween special. You can go back and listen to that if you want. Yeah, I'm sure we'll discuss it again in October. Probably. I'm going to try and get Buffer to go to it and then <laughs> call in and let us know how it is. But the description of Lords of Salem in Total Blackout is, This harrowing attraction, based on Zombies 2012 The Lords of Salem independent horror film, is designed to twist the mind. It will accentuate some senses while limiting others. Fear of the darkness, claustrophobia, and fear of the unknown will be preyed upon as visitors attempt to traverse the 60-degree maze. Mm-hmm. Now, it says 60 degree. Is that 
angle or temperature? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they can keep a sixty degree pitch at all times. <laughs> and um, what would be the point? I don't. I don't know. Sixty degrees is not like it's not really that effective to the senses. No, it's not incredibly hot and it's not incredibly cold. Oh no! no. I, was, I was talking about like angle, oh. like the ground or something. I don't know. Oh. But um, yeah, but that too. Like I mean, sixty degrees is like a weird triangle. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but we we mentioned this, like I mentioned this in uh, in in our our previous attempt at this episode um, that you know we live most of the year in a sixty degree environment, so people like us that wouldn't affect us very much. Although in Scottsdale, Arizona, it might be like, oh my god, it's fucking freezing in here. That could be too. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Um, it uh, sounds more interesting than the movie. <laughs> um, second house is Captain Spaulding's Clown School in 3D uh, this irreverent school of pure terror is a hallucinogenic trip through the mind of Captain Spaulding from House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects played by the great Sid Haig um, startle after Shara will thoroughly frighten the bravest patrons who won't know if they should be laughing screaming or crying so I'm kind of nondescript but um but it's in 3D. Oh. Which isn't the world in 3D? Yeah. Uh, when you move around, you move in three dimensions. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, is it screens on the walls that are all in 3D? Or, like, why do they need to advertise it being in 3D? If... <sighs> Who knows? But you want to impress me? Make it in 4D. Open or, up a wor- wormhole in the middle of the, <laughs> the maze. Or, like, 12. 12 degrees? 12, 12, uh, 12D. 12D. <laughs> Just D everywhere. <laughs> That's Taylor's kind of place. <laughs> Just <laughs> the third and final room is the Devil's Rejects. Not necessarily final. Kind of. I think it kind of depends on what order you go in. The final one that we're talking about. That yeah. don't don't undercut me. <laughs> right? Just okay. <laughs> The murderous Backwoods Firefly family takes to the road to escape a vengeful police force that isn't afraid of being as ruthless as its target. Guests will become part of the state troopers' search-and-destroy mission against the Firefly family, who are wanted for over 75 homicides and disappearances. Um, Devil's Reject is probably my second favorite Rob Zombie movie. I, I think I'm still with uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, my favorite. Devil's Reject is my favorite. Yeah? I like the 80s grit and grime kind of feel. You like it dark and gritty? I, I love the dark and gritty. <laughs> but no, it's got that kind of grindhouse feel. Sure. Whereas House of a Thousand Corpses was a little artier. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a way, I guess. I don't mean that as an insult. Just Oh, no, no, I, I understand. Um, I think, although they have different themes and tones, I think um, cinematically they're pretty similar. But that's just me. Um, but the Firefly family, family, Firefly family. Um, isn't that the new Sprint thing? The fl- flam- family plan. Isn't that Framley? Flim flam. What? I don't care. What? <laughs> don't engage me in that kind of shit. What about the family? Shut up. Um. They are interesting subjects. Um, fucking crazy. Yeah. 
And so to just kind of get in. Especially Otis. Yeah. Um, so to get in there kind of. But especially Baby. Yep. So to get into their kind of psyche and, um, you know, basically follow in their path of destruction, that would be pretty cool. Like kind of essentially be in the movie a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, and then in addition to the, the three exhibits, there's also the Bloody Boulevard which will feature freak shows, musical entertainment, roaming characters, themed food and beverage games, and vendors every night. Musical entertainment. I wonder if that means, like, like the bigger bands that they haven't announced yet, or if it's just going to be, like, you know, like, smaller bands. around playing the tuba. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, but, the, I mean, that's essentially kind of what they had going on last year. Um, so... Um, you can get your tickets for Great American Nightmare at greatamericannightmare.com. Um, they are going to run you, let's see, 25 bucks. I think is the standard. Um, see, oh, sorry, general admission is going to be 45 online and 50 at the door. VIP package, or the VIP one package is going to run you 65 at online and 75 at the door. Uh, and that includes a commemorative t-shirt and quicker access to the haunted attractions uh, then general admission. So it basically sounds like a, you know, a fast pass, but you get like in an amusement park. Um, and the VIP two package is going to run you a hundred dollars and that's only online. You can't buy it at the door. Uh, that includes the t-shirt, uh, the fast access and uh, preferential viewing area for the concert, uh, and a VIP o- or access to the VIP only bar. Um, and, uh, immediate access to the haunted attractions so I guess that means you can go to the front of the line rather than to hop into like a fast line that would be my guess that's the way it sounds yeah um but yeah so great american or great american nightmare dot com um and check it out you I mean they've got it's like about seven different pages worth of information here. Uh, pretty much everything you could need. So go check it out. And if you go, I mean, it's pretty far off from now. But if you go, make sure that you shoot us an email. Leave us a voicemail. Tell, how, tell us how it is. We're anxious to know. Send us some pictures, too. Yeah, definitely. So we talked to you before about uh, Insidious 3, um, or Insidious Chapter 3, I guess. Uh, it's going to have um, uh, Lee Wanell directing it for the first time. He's written the other two, and he's actually writing this one too, I think. Isn't James Wan writing it? Oh, that could be. I know that I think they like basically switched spots. Is that what the deal is? James Wan direct the first two. And... Uh, no, it is being written by Lily Willie Wan. Oh, okay. Well, oh yeah, right. Um, so and he's also going to be starring in it, so he's going to be busy. Um, this is going to be put out by Sony Pictures and Blumhouse Productions. Um, and so the news is that uh, they've started doing some casting. Um, they have cast. Stephanie Scott, uh, who's a, a kind of a little bit of a newcomer. Um, she's a, kind of a youngin'. 
Um, but she is going to be starring, I don't think as the main character, but she's going to be in the 80s cartoon live-action remake of Gem and the Holograms. Which sounds truly outrageous. Yeah. Um, she was in Wreck-It Ralph. She was? As Moppet Girl. I don't know what that is. That could be anywhere. <laughs> um, and she was in a, a Valley of Violence with Ethan Hawke and Karen Gillan. And she was on two episodes of Law & Order Special Victims Unit. I wonder... You telling me this guy gets off on little girls with pigtails? <laughs> oh, you mean it's an addiction? Like when somebody smokes too many cigarettes? <laughs> wonder if she was the little girl with pigtails. Um, she very well could have been. Um, so, uh, this movie is set for April 3rd, 2015. And I think this is the only, aside from Lee Wanell himself, uh, I think this is the only other casting news so far. Lynn Shea has been. Oh, Lynn Shea, right, right, right. Bringing back her character. Mm hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's. I don't mind Insidious. I know you don't care for it. Um, I still haven't seen the second one. I've heard it's good. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, also, Angus Sampson is reprising his role as Angus, or as uh, Tucker. Right. Um, so, I guess a little more casting news than I thought. Or, overall casting, I should say. Um, but, this is... Uh, how we know it so far and we will continue to keep you updated on its progress um and again that's april 3rd 2015 so watch out boogadaboo it was a zombie jamboree took place in a new york cemetery it was a zombie jamboree took place in a new york cemetery zombies from all parts of the island so next up, we've got some news for you video game fans. For your ass. For that ass. Uh, you may have heard us on the Video Game Break podcast. Uh, if you haven't, then you should go listen to that at videogamebreak.net. Or don't. Or don't. It's not our show, so fuck it. No. What are we, cops? <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Carlos. <laughs> But we we briefly discussed the, the game Dead Island, and at E3 they officially revealed that Dead Island Two will be coming next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be developed by Jaeger Development, which is different than the first. The original was developed by Techland, but Techland is now developing Dying Light, which is another zombie game. So they're really stepping out of their comfort zone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Although Dying Light looks like it's more like Resident Evil, where the zombies are kind of more monsters. Mm. Anyways, uh, Dead Island 2, the synopsis is, Several months after the events on Banoi, the United States military has put the Golden State under full quarantine. Now a restricted zone, California has become a bloody paradise for those who refuse to leave their homes and an action-packed playground for renegades who seek adventure, glory, and a fresh start. Combining the classic Dead Island elements of immersive close combat, action, and role-playing, Dead Island 2 features crazy, never-before-seen handcrafted weapons and over-the-top characters in taking players from the iconic Golden Gate to the celebrated beachfront boardwalk of Southern California's Venice Beach. Have you seen the commercial for this? Yes. What do you think? 
I mean, obviously, it's not. Commercials are very rarely a good representation of the game themselves, but. Well, yeah, like, especially if you look at the original trailer for the first Dead Island. Yeah. Like, that was intense. Wow, fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> and the game was not quite that intense. No, it was um, not. This one looks a little more lighthearted. Mm hmm. Looks a little bit funner take on the genre. Yeah, if you if you guys haven't seen it, just hit up YouTube and look for a Dead Island 2 uh, trailer. Yeah, basically it has a guy running down the, the Venice Beach boardwalk. And at the beginning of the trailer, he looks down at his arm and he, he clearly has a bite. Mm-hmm. And as he's running, he's slowly turning into a zombie. And just shit's going on behind him. Like helicopters are crashing and zombies are eating people. And he seems oblivious to it the whole time. I noticed that looks like a very idealized version of Venice Beach. It's not covered in, you know, homeless kids and um, <laughs> hippies and buskers and street musicians and roller bl- men rollerblading in banana hammocks. Well, all the homeless people have probably already been eaten. Fair enough. Um, I, it looked more like Miami Beach to me. but I could see that, yeah. That's just me. Um, yeah, I'd like to see some gameplay. Yeah. I'm sure that'll come out eventually. This, I mean, it's still brand new. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen a few screenshots, but that's it. Oh, have you? I haven't seen that yet. I think. I think that's what I was looking at. Could have been something else. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, like I said, go to YouTube, check out the trailer. Um, I'm sure there's E3 news all over the fucking place, so. Or you just, you know, listen to uh, Video Game Break podcast. Yeah, a whole fucking week of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, he was a busy guy. Yeah. You know, like, he posted our episode, and before I got a chance to listen to it, he had, like, like two days later, he'd already posted, like, three more episodes. Yeah. He was <laughs> Jesus crazy Christ. I know, because it takes me, like, two days, well, not two full days, but, like, two nights of editing our show to get it out. Yeah, but all he really does is stick music at the front and back. Suppose it's funny because you can listen to his episode. and He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna edit this out." Yeah, and it was he like doesn't. Our, our episode. He's like, "Oh, that's an edit point." I'm like, well, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> like listening to it. Like, that, did you forget? <laughs> um. Yeah. So check it out. Dead Island Two. It just says coming 2015. I don't know exactly what month, but I I imagine that it'll probably come out like either like kind of near the beginning of summer or probably around like October for you know for Christmas and stuff. Mm-hmm. That that would be my guess. That would make sense. So for some reason we continue to keep reporting on Ghostbusters 3 even though we're just so morally opposed to it. <laughs> um, got some new info. Um, uh, apparently Sigourney Weaver, Ernie Hudson, and Rick Moranis are all set to appear. Now, Sigourney Weaver and er Ernie Hudson, I halfway expected, I mean, at least Ernie Hudson, because what the fuck else is he doing? Um, Sigourney Weaver, maybe a little more surprised, but not really. Rick Moranis, though, he was for years saying he would he wouldn't do it and uh that he you know he's retired from acting so he came out of retirement for this yeah if if it ever happens which i personally hope it doesn't but oh yeah i mean i i have doubt like i have strong doubt but the more news i hear 
the the smaller my doubt is. Yeah. Um. But uh, let's see. Uh, so uh, Rick Moranis uh, spoke on the what's basically Lewis Tully's been doing for the last twenty years, twenty five years. Um, he says uh, he's in prison, <laughs> and he's a cellmate of Bernie Madoff's. Uh, they tend to compete to see who can make their bed first in the morning. So that's his life. It took me a second to figure out why he would be in jail with Bertie Madoff, but I realized, I remembered he, he was an accountant. And so Some he, kind of embezzlement, probably. Yeah, probably something similar to Madoff or you know, something. By the way, how hilarious is it that a guy named Madoff had a Ponzi scheme? Like he just made off with everyone's money? Ah, uh, I get it. Like how Anthony Weiner showed his dick to everybody. <laughs> yep. Like that's that's cartoon shit. That doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> uh, Ernie Hudson gave us a little bit of insight on Winston Zedmore. Um, well, I guess this it's more of a prediction. It sounds like I don't know if this is actually what the plan, but he prophesizes that Zedmore would be the CEO of the Ghostbusters franchise. I just hope that he wouldn't be in a walker or in a wheelchair, and hopefully we'll still be able to wear the backpacks. So he, he kind of sounds like maybe he's not so sure this is going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. He kind of makes it sound like they're all going to be 180 years old by the time they start filming. Well, I mean, that guy's got to be pushing 60 if, 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 you know, if he's not already. Um, I, I think we actually discussed this before but I can't remember how old he is. He is 68. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. He, he could be dead by the time this is made. They all could. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Sigourney Weaver says that uh, during a relatively recent conversation with Ivan Reitman, um, said that uh, I, have one, I have one condition. I want my son Oscar... You know, his, she was, he was, um, her son, and I think it's supposed to be speculated that he's actually, um, oh, help me out here. I don't know where you're going Bill Murray's this. character. Peter Venkman. Thank you. Peter's, uh, son. She said she, she was some cellist or something. Anyway, um said, uh, yeah, I have one condition. I want my son Oscar to be a Ghostbuster. And Ivan Reitman said, we've already done that. Um, thing about this, though, is Ivan Reitman is done. Like, he's he's out of the project. Um, well, he's staying on as a consultant or some such meaningless title. Yeah, he's like, I'm staying on in a position that will still give me money. <laughs> um, do you hear him on uh, Marin? Or on WTF? Yeah. Not a, not a word about this. Nope. It was weird. I, I got a little breaking news here. Oh. Uh, at the Niagara Falls Comic Con, mm-hmm. Ernie Hudson was quoted as saying that the sequel is definitely happening, and they are looking to start filming either this fall or next spring. Great. Uh, so, according... To other news, Oscar, like like we said, Ivan Reitman said they'd already done it, and apparently it's carried over. Um, Oscar is a Ghostbuster, so they're kind of passing the torch, which I guess they kind of have to do, since there's only 
two original Ghostbusters involved anymore. Um, and uh, because Ivan Reitman has left the project, um, no, well, I guess he's involved in some kind of consultant or whatever. Um, Ruben Fleischer from Zombieland uh, is being uh, considered to direct. Um, yeah, he's allegedly their number one choice. He doesn't have anything going on right now since he passed on Ant-Man. That's right, he did. forgot about that. <clears throat> um, maybe that's why he passed. Possibly. I don't know why he'd want to direct this instead of a fucking Marvel, Marvel movie, though. Kevin Feige. I suppose. He did Zombieland, though, so I don't imagine he has a lot of artistic integrity. <laughs> Didn't he write Zombieland? Did he? I believe so. I, I don't know. Uh, but if he does it, I think this is going to turn into an MTV movie. Probably. Um, I mean, just like Zombieland. I remember hearing a long time ago a rumor that they wanted Michael Sarah to play Oscar. Oh, but if Ruben Fleischer is involved, then that means it's probably going to be Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> I know there have been a lot of rumors as far as casting floating around. I mean, there were rumors about um, uh, Emma Stone and... Um, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. So pretty much the entire cast of Superbad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all you need is, you know, Judd Apatow behind the camera somewhere. That I might watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so this is just more shit on the shit pile. Um, that is one big pile of shit. <laughs> I didn't know they stack shit that high. Um, anyway, so yeah. This is movie's going to be doo-doo no matter what they do with it. Unless they can somehow get... Bill Murray involved and bring Harold Ramis back to life, but neither of those things are going to happen. What if, like, I don't know how I would feel if they did some kind of like hologram or something. Don't no, <laughs> just shut up. You know they're thinking about it. Oh, of course they're thinking about it. Yeah, but that's just such an asinine to, like thought to even consider that. That's in, just no. <laughs> Fucking go the Tupac route on Harold, Harold <laughs> Ramis. That's insane <sighs> anyway so that's it I mean no still no release date apparently Taylor's you know discovered that uh, they're either going to start shooting this fall or in the spring so it sounds like it's it's going forward one way or the other I guess so <sighs> deal with it fuck it got some exciting news for you collectors out there um you're probably familiar with the toy brand neca do we decide if it's nika or neca or is it just neca i i I don't think it matters i i call it neca all right well if you're a collector you know who they are yeah they they do all kinds of toys shit yeah i mean toys um prop replicas um all kinds of shit They're, they're really good high quality stuff yeah, and um, they're going to be releasing two new horror-themed figures. Um, well, technically three. Uh, the first is a new version of Leatherface. Who It's the classic Leatherface from the original movie. Uh, he's got 
the human mask on. And he's got a dress shirt with a nice little tie, mm-hmm. looking very, very dapper. Dapper, yeah. <laughs> and he also has uh, like a butcher's apron and like a handheld sledgehammer. Yeah. I Does he come with a chainsaw? I don't think so. What the fuck? That's his thing. <laughs> it's kind of the name of the movie. Yeah, it's in the title. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a uh, missed opportunity there. Ash comes with a chainsaw. Yep. I don't know. What the fuck? I, I don't know. God, Send him an email. I'm going to write an angry letter. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. The other figure, or two figures, rather... Are the fiend, aka the crimson ghost uh, mascot of the band the Misfits? Yeah, uh, I believe. I believe because the, the crimson ghost was actually from a movie. I believe. I believe the movie was called The Crimson Ghost. Yes, um, and I think that in the Misfits circle, it's more referred to as the fiend. That makes sense since their their uh, fan club is the Fiend Club. Yeah, but yeah. There's going to be two versions of the Fiend. Uh, each will come with a candelabra, and the only Ooh. real very spooky. <laughs> Basically, the only difference between them is one has a black robe and one has a red robe. Yep, and of course, I mean, you've seen seen both. I mean. I, th- I think the Crimson Ghost was actually black and white. The movie? I, I, I think so. I've never seen it. Um, so I think I, I think uh, it was actually in black and white, but his robe like in person was actually red. I mean, that would make sense for Crimson. Yeah. Um, so, but it being black and white and all the imagery from, you know, the Misfits and stuff, obviously it gets kind of repurposed, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like the movie was in black and white, but I think I believe the cover was in, or yeah, the cover was in color, mm-hmm. and it looks like he did have a red robe. And I do believe there was an uh, at least one Misfits album with him on it with the red robe. The American Psycho. That could be it. Um. Anyway. So yeah. Uh, let, let me let's see here. Uh, like I said, NECA's got a bunch of cool shit. Uh, NECAonline.com. Um, I don't think you can actually buy anything off of their site, but I think it will show you uh, retailers near you um, and just kind of their full line of stuff. And it's, like I said, really cool stuff. I mean, that and Sideshow, Sideshow Collectibles, I think. They both do really cool stuff, but anyway, check it out. As we've stated before, more times than I'm sure either of us can count, uh, we've discussed how many or how little we think of uh, found footage movies. Um, just basically, it's just kind of something that everybody can do. Which I guess, if you're an independent filmmaker, you know, somebody just wants to make a movie with your buddies, that's one thing. But when you're a major film studio putting out a found footage film 
just to try and cash in without spending a lot of money. Well, and it's like found footage works if the story works for it. Like Blair Witch worked. Well, that was also the first of its kind. Yeah. But I mean, then even Paranormal Activity worked. Sure. There was a reason for these films to be there. Mm -hmm. But now it's just like someone will write a movie wanting it to be a theatrical movie, a cinematic movie, and studios will go, well, if we do it found footage, we can do it for a third of the cost. Yeah. And so they just fucking, you know, throw some random dude with a camera in there who just films everything for some reason. Yeah. And, you know, because uh, that's his shtick. <laughs> and, you know, uh, on on the subject, we were talking about uh, a while back, the possibility of the new Friday the 13th being found footage. Now, since proven or they've since said that that's not going to happen. But when that did happen, something that didn't even occur to me is this Paramount. Same studio as Paranormal, Paranormal Activity. Activity. Oh, God damn it. I hadn't even made that connection. And, you know, Paranormal Activity is making them a shitload of money. Um, anyway, uh, so the point of all this <laughs> is that there is a movie coming out called This Isn't a Movie. Yes, it is. That's why you're watching it. Um, or not. <laughs> um, it's being promoted as an actual home footage of, of a real possession. Haven't we played this game before? Uh, you mean Blair Witch? Oh, and the upper footage? Oh, yeah. Hey. Um, the thing was, is like the upper footage and Blair Witch, uh, they didn't have something like this saying it's being promoted as real. <laughs> <laughs> like, our marketing strategy, you know, like, <laughs> a, a, like a press conference, our marketing strategy is to promote this as a real occurrence. Like, well, you just ruined the surprise. <laughs> There's one guy in the back going, oh, god damn it, Jerry. <laughs> the boss. I want Jerry out of the building by the end of the day. Um, yeah, the, uh, the tagline is, no script, no actors, real people, real possession. And the, uh, the people in Real this movie, stupid. The, the people in this movie are an actress. <laughs> of the risque adult Right. Uh, yes, she is a pornographic actress. Yeah. But it's funny that it says no actors, yet she is an actress. <laughs> and I like how their tagline is supposed to like kind of give you the sense that it's real, but it's very clearly just another movie tagline. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Shannon Rose. Um, she looks like a porn star. Yep. Big tits, big lips. Freakishly big lips. Permanent duck face. Yeah. And her boyfriend, Travis Dean, is the other person in the movie. Because um, what's better than a porn star and her boyfriend on film? <laughs> a porn star and another porn star? Doing it. And her boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> and a midget? And a donkey? Wait now. <laughs> Hold on. You lost me. Um, yeah, basically the premise is that they go, they, they've always filmed their vacations or whatever horseshit backstory, and they go to this cabin in the woods. 
where she... This is all real, by the way. This yes. actually happened. Yeah, just ask her. She says, it's pretty obvious from the minute you start watching that this is something real. The whole experience was pretty terrifying, and the only way to describe it is as a possession of some kind. Why would you let a porn star do your marketing? I, I think they're the ones pushing this. I really think it's her and her boyfriend. That could I, be. Maybe she just had some money to spend. Like $12? How much does it take to make this movie? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the, the uh, marketing that they'll put into this will like be more expensive than the production cost. Speaking of, they're currently accepting money from Indiegogo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a trailer, which you can go watch and determine if you think it's real. I am personally on the side of not right uh well yeah i think this is just hitting us with some stupid from all angles so um but if this still sounds interesting to you uh check it out at this isn't a movie.com just moved in my new house today moving was hard but i got squared away bell started ringing and changed right loud Speaking of found footage and Paranormal Activity, uh, Paranormal Activity 5, which is actually Paranormal Activity 6, um, as we know, the Paranormal Activity movies always come out Halloween. Mm-hmm. They have taken over for Saw in that regard. Yeah, There's always a new one because it only takes you know three days to record the, the damn thing. Yeah, But if you were hoping to watch Paranormal Activity 5 this Halloween, you, you are, are fucked. fucked. We didn't even plan that. Nope. Paranormal Activity 5 has been delayed to October... Actually, we don't even know if it's October, but I assume October of 2016. Yeah. That's that's two years for you, those of you... Dos años. Yeah. For those of you following at home. Yeah. The reason is because Paramount has had trouble developing the story, which is strange because that's never stopped them before. No. But, um, the, shit, lost my train of thought, um, the, the, the marked ones, which was almost, actually, like, almost the official fifth movie, uh, ended up being more kind of a spinoff, like, uh, partner movie, kind of, I forget exactly what they said it was, but it was, it was basically not in the direct storyline, um, but it almost was, uh, and that did very poorly at the, at the box office, um, as I'm sure those of you that have seen it may have already known. Um, so this could actually be a very smart idea for Paramount. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully they actually take the time and flesh out a good story that makes sense instead of just taking the same fucking movie over and over again with different characters and then... Putting Katie Featherston at the end. Yeah. For 30 seconds. And you know, honestly... You so then everybody who's watching can go, oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm. Oh, now <laughs> I get it. No, you don't, because it doesn't make any goddamn sense. But why is she there? She's from the other movies. But... <laughs> no, I know. It's just like, I know who she is. <laughs> I've spoken to her on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where she thanked us for spreading news about No Pants Day. Yep. People are still favoriting that. Really? Yeah, it's like, what was that, like three months ago? People are still favoriting it. 
hey, Katie Featherston with no pants, that's always going to get a favorite. Well, sh- yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, Marked Ones took a fucking dump at the box office, so <laughs> um, they are going to be taking some time to think things over. And, you know, like you're talking about just basically recycling the same story. You don't necessarily have to have, like, the exact same canon, I guess. You can take the same concept, the idea of a demon haunting a house, basically. Um, it could even be the same demon, just a completely different story. I really much, I very much doubt that a demon would only be bothering one family. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. It's it's stupid. I mean, the first one was good when it came out because it was fresh and new. Yeah. Um, I really only like the first one. Yeah. And I only like it... Well, not only. But, no, I like it better with the original ending. Yeah. Which wouldn't work with sequels. No, it would not. Um, and I, 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 I liked the second one a little bit. Um, it's not something that I would maybe recommend to people, I guess, but it was okay. But the rest of them, just duty cocky. Anyway, so keep an eye out for Paranormal 5 in probably I'm, October 2016. I mean, don't keep it too far out because it might hurt your retinas. Yeah. Mark it in your calendars. If if you already bought 2016 calendars. Who has a calendar? It's just cell phones. So this next story is both... Exciting and a little upsetting. Not really upsetting, but sad. No. Uh, if you're in the Chicago area, you're definitely going to want to check out... Um, Flashback Weekend. Flashback Weekend. Didn't I do that last time? Yeah. <laughs> I know, for some reason, I was going to say 80s Flashback Weekend. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, you're definitely going to want to check that out. It's got a great lineup, but especially Robert England, which I know he goes to a lot of horror conventions, mm-hmm. but... He's going to be there in full Freddy makeup for the last time. Yeah, and the, that's the kind of bittersweet thing. Um, I mean, those of you that saw the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm sure you've just been craving to see good old good old Bobby. That's what I call him. I call him Bobby <laughs> <laughs> in the Freddy makeup again. And uh, this is your chance. Um, and Flashback Weekend actually has different packages available. Um, one is aptly named the Robert England Freddy Krueger makeup photo op package. Um, now is that the one where you get the photo op with Freddy? You know, I think it is. Okay. That's going to run you $350. Worth it. Totally. This is literally a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Yep. I mean, unless you did it once already. But. Sure. But for you youngins out there. Or um, people who haven't. Sure. 
I know. That I mean, most of the time when when England does conventions, he doesn't do the makeup. No. He like yeah, he usually has the glove. Yeah. But that that's about it. Mm-hmm. So this is is a serious serious opportunity, and the last time you'll ever get this opportunity. Yeah. So um, if you're if you're a big Nightmare on Elm Street fan, this is something you need to do. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. So with this three hundred fifty dollar package plus fifteen dollar service fee, it's gonna run you a grand total of three hundred sixty five dollars. Um, but in this package, you get to take a one on one picture with Robert England in the Freddy Krueger makeup, um, in the Christmas sweater, in the fedora, yep, with the glove. Um, Robert England's makeup. Uh, will be designed and applied by FX master artist Robert Kurtzman in this, like the exact same way that they applied it for Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, there's not going to be any shortcuts. There's not going to be any kind of, you know, like mask, basically. Right. It's going to be all appliances that are basically hand. And Robert placed. Kurtzman is the original yep. makeup effects artist from Nightmare on Elm Street. And Robert Kurtzman, Kurtzman um, I mean, God, he's been, he's, He's part of uh, K&B. Um, Which is owned by Greg Nicotero. He's one of the owners, yeah. Yeah. He's Robert Kurtzman is the K in K&B. K&G. No K&B. K&B. Yep. That's what he said. I bet the N is Nicotero. Yep. Very good. Who's the B? I forget his name. That doesn't start with a B. No. no. It does in um, German. I want to say you're wrong, but I don't know enough German to be sure. Ah, uh, so um, there's also oh, there's a package that's sold out. It's the ultimate weekend package. Um, basically, it's if it's sold out, who cares? Yeah, all right. And it doesn't get you a picture with Freddy. So regular weekend package, uh, which basically gives you admission to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and just all the general co- convention activities. That's gonna run you a grand total of seventy dollars. And a single day, um, Friday's 35, Saturday's 35, Sunday is 30. So uh, check out flashbackweekend.com. If you're any, <coughs> excuse me, if you're anywhere near Chicago, you have to check this out. And then tag us in your Facebook photos. Yes. Let us see it. Let us taste your delicious pictures. Let us ogle you. Mm-hmm. Um, just don't send, any, send us any dick pics. No. Don't nobody want to see that. No, we don't want to see Freddy's burned dick. <laughs> so Tony briefly mentioned the re-reboot of Friday the 13th. And how excited he is. Um, like we said, the good news is that it will not be found footage. That's that's the good news. Yep. Uh, but they do feel the need to tack on some stupid bullshit uh, gimmick. and so Because otherwise, uh, I don't know. I mean, who's going to watch a movie called Friday the 13th unless there's some stupid gimmick, right? Well, the latest one they've decided is 3D. Mm. Which is neat, I guess, if that's your thing. Nope. Uh, you may remember that uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 
was in 3D. Yep. Back in the 80s, when 3D first became a fad. Nope. That was the 50s. When 3D secondly became a fad. Yeah. This is the third iteration of 3D. And uh, each time that it was popular, it only lasted like three years before it just died out. This one's really hanging on. Yeah. And, like, I get it that the technology is better, but it's still just gimmicky and doesn't enhance the movie, in my opinion. No. Like, I watch a movie for the story and for visuals, and I don't need the visuals to pop out at me. Because then that's... More times than not, that's going to distract me. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, the the 3D movies... Well, I haven't seen many. Uh, but the the 3D things that I have seen, I was most distracted. Like, the 3D imagery held my attention more than the movie itself. I see it as more of a crutch to cover up bad story, bad filming. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, still no word on if Derek Mears is going to return. That could be like the only, like aside from it not being found footage, that could be the like the only good news. Actually, you know what could be really good news is if they suddenly said, "Oh, uh, we cut ties with Platinum Dunes because fuck Michael Bay and he's a cocksucker." And yeah, we decided we're going to make a sequel instead of a re reboot. Yeah, we hope he gets dick cancer. Um, and then who's the director guy they got? Uh, David Bruckner. Which, that's still in negotiations. I don't think he's officially signed on yet, even. No. But, um, I mean, how fucking long do you have to be in negotiations with someone before you sign them on? And if things fall apart at this point, then somebody's fucking up. Especially this guy. I mean, it's not like he's got a lot of um, clout. Yeah. I mean, he, like, I think his most well-known bit is uh, a... Um, Segment. Uh, segment, thank you, in uh, VHS, which is, you know, found footage. So the combination of rumor found footage, David Bruckner being director and being at Paramount, like... If, yeah, like, that's the one reason I could see why they would break ties with Bruckner at this point, is that since they've decided not to do found footage, yeah. that maybe they go with someone else. Yeah, he's cited as, as doing a movie called The Signal, which I'm not familiar with at all. Never heard of it. Me neither. Um, so... Um. Yeah, right now it's being called Friday the 13th 3D. Clever. And also the title of the original Friday the 13th 3. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. This is just a shit show. Oh, my God. As long as Michael Bay or one of his protégés, one of his hand-picked cronies, doesn't take over the directing chair, because you know if that happens, then we're going to get the metal whirs going to have Jason run through the forest and he's going to go to Slash Buddy. He's going to go... You know, talking about David Bruckner and the fact that he's um, a found footage director, essentially, um, the only benefit I could see to that is them wanting, them being Paramount, wanting to get back to the low-budget kind of not grit, gritty, but in in kind of like a low-budget, old-fashioned, gritty type of way. Um, style, which found footage directors are familiar with. Um, it's possible. 
So uh, that's really the only benefit. I feel like that's giving too much credit to Platinum Dunes, so. though. Well, um, Paramount is behind it, you know, at, at the head of it. It's, it's Paramount. Yeah. Platinum Dunes is under them. But Here's, here's a better Metal War impression. <clears throat> that's better. There you go. And then some big fucking robot comes out of nowhere. Because <laughs> why not? Well, because there's, fucking Michael Bay. And then there's Thundercats. Yep. <laughs> Michael Bay, fuck yourself. bit of news here uh, going back into video games a little bit we should have done this with the video game news we should have but we didn't so fuck us uh, you may be familiar with the Dead Rising franchise I am I thought you might it's currently on its third iteration and it is now being adapted into a film oh be goddamned! Uh, it is being written by Tim Carter who we looked up before, but I don't remember what else he did. Was it was that a, like a lot of Marvel work, or was that somebody else? That was Brian Singer. <laughs> Again with fucking Brian Singer, <laughs> he's haunting me. Um, there's like four Tim Carters. Oh right, IMDb. yeah, that's it. Yeah, I looked him up and I couldn't tell which one he was. So okay. Um, so I don't know who he is. Some guy. Some fucking guy. <laughs> He's writing it. And uh, it's being produced by Contradiction Films, who is the production company behind the Mortal Kombat Legacy web shorts. Yes, and those are awesome. Badass. Yeah. I, if you have not seen them, check them out. Just They're, they're on YouTube. Uh, they're probably about oh, 15 minutes each, I think. Um, and they're just fucking kick ass. Yeah, especially if you're a Mortal Kombat fan. Yeah. But the synopsis of the movie is that Dead Rising takes place during a large-scale zombie outbreak. When a mandatory government vaccine fails to stop the infection from spreading, the four leads must evade infection while also pursuing the root of the epidemic, with all signs pointing to a government conspiracy. Politics, public paranoia, and media coverage play an important role in the story's narrative. So that sounds nothing like any of the games. Um, obviously, you couldn't really do part one. You couldn't just adapt that into a movie because it would be Dawn, Dawn of the Dead. Dead yeah. <laughs> I feel like part two could be a successful movie. It took place in like a casino. I kind of feel like a production company just wanted, or you know, like like a studio basically just wanted the Dead Rising. The title, name. yeah. That's probably pretty accurate. Um. Uh, this movie's going to debut. Sorry, just. Uh... I'm just re- rereading this here. Like that does sound a little like two, I guess. A, a, a bit, a bit. I guess it doesn't really say what the setting is, so it could s- still be in like a casino or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I think that was part of the part of the the plot of two is the 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 main character was playing was like competing in these events um, to either win a vaccine or win money for a vaccine for his daughter to stave off the zombie virus. Yeah, 
I think that was it. Something like that. I think I only played it for a few minutes, so I'm not really clear on it. But <clears throat> um, this will debut on Crackle, which is uh, another uh, like movie streaming service similar to um, you know Netflix or Amazon. Um, so, uh, but it's free. It is free. But there are commercials. Yes. And the commercials uh, have a tendency to come in at very odd times. Yes. I remember the first time I ever used Crackle, I was trying to watch a movie, and uh, it. <laughs> I knew there were commercials because it, like, it was like Hulu. You, you could see, like, dots mm-hmm. in, the, in the play bar. Um, so I knew a commercial was coming. And much to my surprise, it cut to commercial in the middle of a character's sentence and then hopped back in like right after the commercial right back in mid sentence it's like show me that the McRib is back <laughs> I'm loving it money <laughs> um, so yeah I, I have to assume a show that was or uh, a movie I guess that's designed for them they might be a little more tactful Hopefully. Um, it will be on Crackle exclusively for a limited time, after which time it will be released on other platforms, including physical media. So this will get a DVD and Blu-ray release. Yes. Someday. So, um, no release date on this yet. Um, I mean, I, I assume they're still in pre-production. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming since it says the four leads, that they don't even have any casting yet. Yeah. So... so um, yeah, we'll uh, keep you posted on this. Could be interesting. Or it could be shit. Could be shit. Either way, we'll let you know. That's going to do it for horror business. Did we get through it faster than last time? I think. We're at about an hour and 25. <laughs> that might be about the same. I don't think we got through it any faster. Ugh, fuck. All right. Well, let's not waste any more time. We're going to jump into our movie reviews. Well, first... Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> Fuck me. We, uh, we were lucky enough to speak to a couple of guys from the UK. They have a production company called Easy as Pie. And they are currently working on a zombie film called uh, Too Young to Die. It's a, a new take on the zombie film in that it's from the point of view of children. It's kind of Lord of the Flies meets... Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, it's um, kind of. It appears to be kind of maybe mid to after zombie apocalypse. Yeah, um, it kind of picks up like right in the middle of it. I I would guess it's kind of what it looks like. But yeah, it was a great interview. Um, yeah, a couple, a couple of guys by the names of uh, Hank and Wayne Thompson. No relation. No relation. <laughs> Believe it or not, and there's actually a a third member of their team named. I believe it's James Thompson. Also no relation. <laughs> Three guys, same last name, none of them related. Well, you know, you, England's a, is a small island. <laughs> but, I mean, we get into that, so uh, have a listen for yourself. Without further ado, here are Hank and Wayne Thompson from Easy As Pie Productions. Only the good die young.
guys? How are you guys for language? I wouldn't want to curse or anything if you guys I don't go in for F bombs. Yeah, go, okay, cool. go nuts. <laughs> Cunt pickle. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> hey guys, you are listening to the sensual sounds of Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror. And we are here with a couple guests here representing Easy as Pie. Um, why don't you guys uh, go ahead and uh, introduce yourselves? Yep, my name is Henry Thompson. I'm creative director of Easiest Pie Productions. And I'm Wayne Thompson, and I'm company director of Easiest Pie Productions. Cool. Thanks for joining us, guys. Right, you're very welcome. Thank you for having us. Oh, pleasure. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, maybe before we get into it, why don't you just kind of uh, tell us who you are and um, you know, how, uh, just tell us about yourselves. For the millions of people who don't know who we are, uh, based, <laughs> we are a small-time film company in the northeast of England, uh, which is like the dark side of the moon as far as the, uh, the film development world goes. The forgotten world, basically. Yeah. And uh, we're trying to get a couple of projects off the ground this year, including a horror film, which is called Too Young to Die. It's about children facing the zombie apocalypse with no help from adults. Cool. Um, so... Why don't you tell us, uh, first off, um, oh, I guess you kind of explained the plot of Too Young to Die already, um, but why don't you tell us... Oh, the long time. <laughs> um, why don't you kind of explain uh, where you came up with the idea and, and uh, how that came about? I think Wayne can feel that one better. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one, that. Um, basically, I was working freelance, um, creating some zombies, and my daughter was watching, who was eight-year-old at the time. And she came up with the question, if zombies do invade, you are going to be there to protect me, aren't you, Dad? <laughs> so I was, of course I am, yeah. But then I suddenly thought, what if I wasn't? What if I couldn't be there for my kids? Could they survive on that one? So basically that's where the story did um, originate from, which was kind of freaky, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, just conceptually it's it's obviously very different from uh the the zombie movies that exist now and you know the so, so many so many zombie movies have such a similar plot nowadays that it's it's uh refreshing to see something with kind of a, a little twist on it no definitely i mean I, I remember first taking the idea to henry and as soon as i mentioned zombies it was like too many films but as soon as i mentioned the word kids he just jumped on the idea straight away saying yeah it's different this could work when we first started talking about it, I was like, uh, oh, I'm so sick of zombies. Everything zombies, Walking Dead, and all the remakes and everything. But then um, when I looked at it from the perspective of being kids, what excited me is not so much, you know, kids getting hurt or in danger or just doing it as a tweak, but the fact that kids can be so damn cruel as well to each other and to adults, to everyone. You can get away with some really crazy shit that I don't think anyone will ever expect when they hear the log and they think, oh, kids in jeopardy. But we've taken it away, I think, is going to be very different, very Lord of the Flies, you know? That's exactly what I was just thinking was Lord of the Flies. <laughs> um, Wayne, you said you were creating zombies. Is, like, do you do, like, makeup effects? or? Yeah, I do the makeup effects, yeah. Very cool. And um, the real effects, well, not digital. Good. Yeah, and it, what he's not mentioning, because he doesn't know how to, like, big himself up, he's a bit of a modest person, as he's been doing makeup effects professionally for about, what, 15 years? 10 to 15, yeah. 
Yeah, and so he gets uh, kind of like pawned out a lot to do random zombie flicks or blood work, and he's done probably what thirty or forty effects for movies. Um, yeah, probably a bit more than that, really. But I don't, <laughs> I don't count. <laughs> I just meant movies people might have seen, as opposed to like you know student films or anything. Is why I said such a low number. Fair point. Uh, so, did you guys draw a lot of inspiration from any other zombie movies in particular? For me, it has to go back to the original zombie movies. I want to keep everything old school, um, Return of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, things like that. Excellent. Um, I do not like fast-moving zombies. To me, yes. that's just not... Thank you. You just won some <laughs> points with us, so... <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, definitely old school zombies. Cool. After Wayne gave us the idea, uh, me and our other writing partner, uh, Jim, who couldn't be here tonight... Um, we went through it, and the biggest inspiration for the two of us was probably uh, Return of the Living Dead and Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Return of the Living Dead for more kind of how the whole infection starts to spread bit by bit, but more Night of the Living Dead for the overall kind of feeling of the kind of claustrophobia if you lock yourself into one position. The fact that you can, in theory, just walk right past them, yeah. and it's only really when you put yourself into a stupid situation that you really wind up with the problems. And that's what the problem with these kids is, is they realize pretty early on, hey, we can just walk right past these things. But, of course, kids are very, you know, hit and miss. They've got EDD. They walk themselves into all kinds of trouble. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's uh, just to see, like, kind of how an adolescent responds to such an adult situation. Um, It's – I guess, did you – kind of um get opinions like uh, you said you had a had a daughter did you get like kind of like her opinions on how maybe she would react or did you just kind of <laughs> that, that's quite hard with my daughter because obviously my daughter's watched me doing the effects since she was born ah. and she, she didn't get scared too easy unfortunately <laughs> well we did a um a little kind of a skit recently which will be going live at the end of this month where we got a whole bunch of kids together and asked them kind of what would you do and pose them some questions. And kids are so ridiculously stupid sometimes. Um, <laughs> they think they own the world. Every kid was like, I would just ninja chop them, man. I'd kick them in the ass. I would just get a flamethrower and set fire to them. They were like, you're six years old. How are you going to get a flamethrower? They're like, there's probably one in the backyard. I don't know. <laughs> some of the answers you get are I'll unbelievable, so you can't do it. You know, You can't get opinions from kids yeah <laughs> uh so why don't you tell us uh i guess kind of what was your uh, for both of you what was kind of your first foray into horror i mean what what kind of made you passionate about it um well obviously i'm a bit older than henry um i grew up with uh, the original halloweens and fogs and things like that but even before then uh, yeah basically yeah um Legendary. but even Salem, there's a lot of things like that, Tope, Hope, and, you know, all the old classics, really. Cool. For for me, when I was a kid, I, I don't know, I must have just caught some weird crap on HBO, because uh, <laughs> I think the first horror movie I ever saw that I really dug was um, There's Nothing Out There, which is like a really B movie. I think the monster's made of, like, toilet paper. <laughs> like, green dye. But for some reason, that just spoke to me, and I loved it. Then I saw things like Night of the Creeps. And I just got into the more kind of, I guess, more sci-fi horror. And then uh, as I got older, I got really into, you know, like I loved when Silent Hill came on. I thought that was a fantastic movie uh, for the psychological shit. But then 
old school horror, man. You got to go with the simple slashes, Friday the 13th and, you know, Halloween and stuff. I like the simplicity of those things. Cool. Just put people in jeopardy and then watch them freak out. I love that. Yeah, that's uh, that's some of the funnest stuff. Um, so we've seen you guys have, I think, two two teaser trailers. Yep. So you've you've clearly done some shooting. How, how much is, do you have done, and how much do you still have to do? The whole thing. Uh, <laughs> the teaser t- t- was simply done just to try and help us uh, get the film out there to be known more than anything else, um, just to help with funding and things like that. Yeah, we're in the predicament where basically we've got, um, you know, we could put maybe a couple of grand into the movie and we could get it done very low budget. We couldn't guarantee the quality of the acting or anything. And it might wind up on a DVD, but we kind of felt like that'd be a bit of a waste of the concept. So we're hoping that public opinion and you know, private investment, things like that, swing our way to help us actually get it done correctly. We're gonna, we would love to get it into movie theaters. That's our main goal. And, I mean, we've had a few people quite interested. Uh, one person in particular wants to actually give us some cash just so his daughter can be in it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm happy with that. I'm not going to say no to that. You're not opposed um, to nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> but the beauty of it is she just wants to be a zombie. Uh, it's crazy. Why uh, does everyone always want to be a zombie? I don't want to be the person <laughs> killing the zombies. I guess yeah, yeah I'm with you. Thing. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so um, you talked about getting some, like, uh, basically public funding you 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 did some uh, some crowdsourcing on indiegogo um and in all reality you kind of <laughs> fell a little short of your goal um, a little it was a massive failure they don't have to sugarcoat it for nobody we were asking for half a million and we wound up with less than a grand right. so i mean that's pretty far short however we learned a lot in that entire time we had up for 42 days and in the 42 days 60,000 people roughly in the world, jumped on our website. Mm-hmm. And that just seems like such small numbers, man. That was our main problem is we have no exposure. We had no money in advertising. We didn't actually do anything more than word of mouth. And in that sense, 60,000 people is great for word of mouth, shit for getting the movie funded. One thing we did benefit from, though, with Indiegogo was the amount of reviews we've received mm. and the fact that we have got an audience waiting to see this movie when it's made. It also helped us find, like, um, we've got uh, Bill O'Burst Jr. has just signed on to oh, nice. be a part of the movie. Nice. And uh, we've got this other actress who's from uh, British soap operas, Melissa Suffield. They both agreed because of that campaign. So that's their next step is being able to have names to leverage against the project. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, that never hurts. <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> so are you planning on doing any more crowdsourcing or are you just going to try and find investors? Well, we've got a few people interested right now um, in actually investing, so we're seeing if that actually pans out. I mean, ideally, we never really want to ask the audience for money up front unless we can give them something awesome back beyond just seeing the movie. Um, If that fails, we'll probably try and jump back in there as a last resort, but I'd like to avoid it if we can humanly possibly do it. All right. Um, So are you you guys brothers or? (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, the Thompson Brothers, it's a strange story that uh, none of us are related, actually. Uh, just, we all have the second name the same. Really? Basically, yeah. when I came to England, because I'm from Florida originally, and uh, I moved here to be with family, and I decided I wanted to make a movie. So I made a production company and started putting together a feature film. And the first two people I hired to be actors in it was Wayne Thompson, who you're talking to, and James Thompson, who's another guy who's 
co-writes with us. And um, we just kind of formed a really good bond very quickly. And uh, when that movie kind of went through some really harsh times, the set was burned down. One of the people died who was involved with it. It just really hit a real snag. And that's why it's still not out yet. It's actually in post-production even now, um, like six years, seven years on. Jeez. Um, these are the two guys that have, that have stayed with me from that experience. We've all become brothers through it. You know, we're closer than family from the crazy shit we've had to deal with. So you, you talked about having another film in production. Uh, forgive me if you already answered this, but uh, <laughs> how long has uh, uh, Too Young to Die uh, been kind of in the works? I mean, w- w- when did you guys start on that? What what the, what the, the timeline kind of look like? Well, uh let me preface that by saying that the movie I just mentioned, Walk Away, is a psychological horror that uh, we filmed the entire thing. It's completely filmed in the can, ready to go, but it's still waiting on the editing and the effects, which is why it's in post-production even now. We've had a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. That's been going essentially seven years. This, on the other hand, uh, we actually started uh, – Wayne brought the idea to me and Jim last August. We finished the script in February. And uh, that's the third draft in February. And from February till now is how long it's been running. So less than a year, it's been in development. We've actually only been pushing it for about two months, really, two to three yeah. months. So it's it's quite new, really. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, I guess the fact that you've already been pushing it for two months, I guess all things considered, you've made a, quite a bit of headway on it. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think I'm quite surprised myself how well we've done with this one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just the fact that there's an audience out there which has helped push it along as well, which has been fantastic. Yeah, I gotta say, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a, a fan of horror, but I can't say I'm like diehard to the point where, you know, I go to conventions and everything. However, I've learned the horror community is so like fervent with passionate fans that they really, really are begging out for stuff like this, and it really delights me that we can bring that to them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we talked before about it being different conceptually um, than a pretty much every zombie movie out there and i know both of us being big zombie fans we're definitely constantly seeking that because like you we're really getting sick of the zombie yeah genre yeah. same old same old yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody agrees with that at the moment yeah um so yeah i mean this is something that i think i think i could speak for taylor saying something that we're definitely interested in um and would really love to see this get made um so, uh, um, I mean, one thing I can say is uh, we haven't had the greatest of success yet in the sense of it's not in the middle of like pre-production. But I mean, the way that people have supported us so far, I can guarantee it will get made at some stage in the future, no matter how long that takes, whether it's six months or a year or whatever. And uh, dude, you guys are fans. You guys are helping us while we're on the ground here. <laughs> Got to get you down on the be the movie of zombies. How fun would that be? I would get you love in the movie. That. that would be awesome. Just it's gotta be done. I vote we gotta do that. A trip to England I, might I be close off. <laughs> Hell's yeah, man. <laughs> hey, England's not all what's cracked up the baby. Though. <laughs> yeah, but if you're dead here, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so what 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 are your guys' roles in the film? Like who's the director, who's the like I know Wayne said he's doing the makeup, but what else are you guys doing? Between the three of us, um, I think the idea is that we're all going to be directing at some point um, because we do actually work as a team as one, um, which we're quite fortunate with, really, because we all bounce ideas off each other till we get the the right mark, really. 
so yeah, we'll all be having to go direct now. We'll be doing the effects. Um, I don't know what else James will be doing. What, what's James doing? <laughs> well, the, <laughs> the way that we've handled it generally with this project is the three of us all took turns kind of doing a draft on it. Then we compiled it down to what we all felt was the strongest. So the three of us are all co-directing. We're all co-writing, co-producing. Um, I'll do director photography, things like that, because i got a technical background. And being I'm the creative director, if we ever happen to hit a snag where we're not all in agreement, I'll just pull rank and call everyone a dick until they listen to me. <laughs> until then, we're all pretty much always in agreement, so it works out pretty well. Um, you talked about you all kind of uh, co-directing. Do you worry about like having kind of, um, I don't know, differing tones at certain points in the movie? Or maybe is that something you're going for? Or do you kind of think as like kind of a hive mind a little bit <laughs> i think there's a lot of hive mindness going on i mean uh wayne is a diehard horror i'm mostly horror jim's mostly horror uh so i mean i look forward the most to like the the characters wayne looks forward most to the kind of effects jim looks forward most to just the actual kind of action set pieces that are in there mm-hmm. so between the three of us we just take the bits that we prefer to work on and support the other two with their bits right on I don't think we're going to wind up with any major hassles. We've all fought each other before. You know, it's all pretty, pretty equally matched. It's like twins fighting. I mean, normally if we do hit a point where we don't agree, we'll shoot both versions and see which one looks the best in the end. Oh, there you go. In a worst case, yeah. Yeah. It's digital these days, so you don't got to worry about extra costs. So. Are you guys going to be appearing in the movie at all? Um, We'll probably have a cameo in some way, I would imagine. Maybe it's well, I got, or something. I got one role picked out for myself, um, which is there is one part of the movie. I'm not going to give any spoilers or anything, uh, although you guys are welcome to copy the script if you'd like to have a read through. Um, there is one part where there's an adult in it uh, who happens to come through and he's a little bit of an asshole. And he's like, oh, kids, what? Falls to them. <laughs> Nothing's more important than me. Screw you guys. And I definitely want that role for myself. <laughs> just because I'm going to get so sick of directing the kids I love kids, they're great fun but you know, when you got them on like six hour shoots, they're going to be so whiny after a while that I'm going to delight in having that one role where I can just go screw you kids, I'm not giving you happiness for a day so you're not a father I gather <laughs> I'm the one non-father, yeah I guess you could tell hey, I am a father and I support him <laughs> um this is kind of a obscure reference, but there was an episode of South Park where the kids took over the town. Classic episode. You remember that one? And he kept the, oh, the guy that showed episode. up. They kept calling him Outlander. Yeah, that's. I, I keep thinking of that as you're describing <laughs> the plot to this movie. Well, I mean, there's been a few things before that use kids as the leads, um, especially like you know horror related, like Children of the Corn. There's that one movie that was. Uh, I believe it's an Italian movie from the 70s that just got remade about the the whole city of kids. and They kill all the adults that come into their neighborhood. Um, But we we don't want to make the kids all little bastards or anything. It's just more when you're left to your own devices, the kids obviously, they got to self-survive. They might become a little bit feral. That's all. Not quite severe as that South Park episode. That's a classic. (laughs) Maybe Uh, the sequel, you know? (laughs) So there will be a sequel. We got the scoop right here on the Grand Plot Podcast. For uh, the scoop for you guys, it's just just say open enough that if anyone wants to pay us for us to sell them the sequel, they can go right ahead and make it. We're going to, we personally only want to do one. So are you looking to kind of 
shop this more around the kind of the UK market first? Or are you trying to bring it to America or, or America? <laughs> America? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we've we've been obviously before we even went on Indiegogo, we pushed a lot to the UK, and what we find is everyone's like, "That sounds like an awesome movie. I would totally support that as long as you don't want any money or time from me." <laughs> and when we talk to anyone from like even like France, America, Canada, uh, New Zealand, Australia, they're all like, "That sounds really good. What do I got to do to make you make it here?" And we've got a couple of leads in other countries. I'm more than happy to jump ship from here if we have to follow the money. Right. I mean, I'd like to make it here. It's a beautiful place. We wrote it with this place in mind. But come on, man. America is so full of beautiful landscapes and people. And I would not sniff at doing it over there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Um, and that would make it easier for our cameo, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, same as an airfare. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Um all right, so I guess uh, you mentioned you have uh, uh, essentially two projects kind of in the works right now. I mean, uh, Too Young to Die, and I'm sorry, what was the title of the other one? Walk Away. Walk Away. Um, do you, are you guys working on anything else, or do you have anything else uh, in mind? <laughs> do you want to feel that one, way? <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got absolutely lo- loads of projects lined up. It's just we're con- trying to concentrate on this one at the moment in particular. Um, if you go on the actual Easiest Pie website, you will see some of the projects that we have in the future lined up. Right on. Yeah, particularly if you go to easiestpie.com forward slash developing, we've got about 47 different projects listed <laughs> that we aim to be doing in the future that are kind of there for posterity, so we don't forget, you know? Uh, a couple of horrors, a couple of dramas, a couple of comedies, bits and pieces, but we wanted to focus on the ones we thought we could do the cheapest, fastest, and best first, because some of our ideas are mad expensive. Don't think we'll be pulling the money for that this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I know we we both uh, wish you the best, and um, you know we'll, we'll be pushing your pushing your uh, films as much as we can. Try and try and get you some support. Um, Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thank you and, very much. Uh, where can people find you? What's your website and Twitter and all that? Yeah, it's uh, easiestpie.com, which is E Z E A S P I. Or for this movie, it's wearetoyoungtodie.com. And then you guys are on Twitter? Oh, yeah, we're on Twitter. He's uh, Mr. Wayne Thompson, and I am Easiest Pie. Same with same with Facebook. Cool. I think most of the links are on the websites as well, too. Yeah, we do have links on all the websites. And there's a little Twitter dash and a little Facebook dash on the top right of the uh, Too Young to Die website as well. But on, on um, Twitter, it's no dying young. For the movie. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, Hank, Wayne, it was a great pleasure to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah thank you. And we uh, wish you both the best of luck. And um, Yeah, let us let us know about that cameo because uh, yeah. we, we would love to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, damn straight. <laughs> it's dudes like you who are, who are going to help this movie get made. You know, the horror community. That's what we're trying to do it for. That's why we made the website. We are tuned to die. We want everyone to be a part of the movie if we can humanly help it. So you guys will definitely be cameo, and I don't care what you, you might go. I don't want to do it anymore. You're going to do it, man. I'm going to make both of you do it. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And um, we'll uh, probably catch up with you later on. Definitely. Well, thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. You have a good one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. 
it's right off the highway. Wobbledy wobbledy drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Cause I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way, a very small percent of the That was fun. That was fun. Um, <laughs> great guys. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, you, you, you could tell that they're very into what they do. and Yeah, they're very excited just to be getting the word out about their project. Yeah, um, and we were happy to oblige. Um, as I mentioned, it's a very interesting new concept, um, something you just don't really – haven't seen before in zombie films. Yeah, um, and it, it, it sounds like their failed attempt at crowdsourcing may actually be a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Because it sounds like they're actually getting some investors now. They've done some some uh, some casting and some some pretty decent casting too. Getting Bill Oberst Jr. in there, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you may have overheard that we <laughs> were offered a cameo spot. H- Hank Wayne, you got to get us out there. We're yeah. We're, if you guys want to fly us to London, we are there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I have to run it by the by the old lady. <laughs> I see. So uh, we know who wears the pants in Tony's relationship. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm getting married in a few weeks. I can't just leave the country. <laughs> it's a cameo. How long can it take? <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, uh, the website is we are too young to die. Right? Dot com. Dot com. Check out their trailer and um, support them. I mean, I don't think they're not looking for money right now. Uh but uh, they could use some word of, word of mouth for sure. So go check it out and uh, tell us what you think. Word. Yeah. And uh, with that out of the way, now on to the reviews. All right, so our first movie is from 2013, written and directed by Ty West. Yeah. Who uh, you may know as the writer-director of House of the Devil and The Innkeepers. The Devils! (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, This movie was produced by Eli Roth, who you may know as the Bear Jew. Yep. Or, you know, he's made a couple movies, I think. Something. So, some movies. Who, who who fuck knows? Who who really makes a movie? You know. <laughs> How do you make a movie? <laughs> Anyways, this movie is called The Sacrament. You guys ready? Watch it. We've been to some of the most chaotic, war-torn places in the world, but never for something as bizarre as this. Here we are. Welcome to Eden Parish. You guys built all this? Father had a vision, and we built heaven here on Earth. Who is Father? He's the guy that started all of this. Can we speak with him at some point? He agreed to sit for an interview tonight at the gathering. It's been pretty amazing. Everyone we talked to seems to feel that this is everything they ever wanted, and they all credit you for that. Oh, I don't deserve the credit. You come down here, and I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you a job. I'll give you a bed. These people are my family, my children. And when you write this up, just know that you're dealing with their lives. Oh, 
what's really going on here. This place is not what it seems. Hey, what's happening? These people want to leave. They have their suitcases packed. I have no idea what to do. Sam, do not get involved in this. Please take my daughter. What? We can't let them go back to New York. No. This is the last sacrament. Hey! Hey! How many more people can fit in this thing? I want you to film this. It's important. It's funny. Take it. Take it. Take it. You know, this is the one I'm really hoping that we can kind of recapture it because I thought we did a really good review of this. Oh yeah, yeah. I was really into it, and I was so pissed when we, when I realized we have to re-record. So, all right. Well, this is a fictional retelling of the events of the Jonestown Massacre. So, if you're familiar with the Jonestown Massacre, you know what you're getting into with this movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, it was obviously a dramatization, but like almost step to step for step, it was like Jonestown, right? Um, it's it's a found footage style. It doesn't really feel found footage in some parts. No. Um, we'll get into, get into that a little more later. Basically, uh, the the story is about this these three guys who work for Vice. Uh, if you don't know, Vice is a New York based news, arts, and culture company. Is it real? Yes. Oh, I did not know that. Um. So yeah, they do a lot of articles and videos and whatnot um, on different cultural pop things. Things, um, pop culture. There we go. Hey, got C- it. Culture and pop is what. I, I <laughs> uh, Sam Patrick and the cameraman Jake. Jake. Uh, Patrick. His sister had a issue with narcotics, and she ended up going to rehab. Drugs. She ended up going to rehab, and Patrick didn't hear from her for a while, until finally he got a letter from her, and it said that she had left the country, and was with this group, and they they were trying to live as God intended. So he was able to get a hold of her, find out where she was. And they go and find her, and uh, Sam, who is the, the host of this Vice program that they're doing, want, wants to do a story on it. So that that's why they're filming. Mm-hmm. So they travel to somewhere. They never really specify where. Yeah, but as you informed me, I was not aware, Jonestown was located in Ghana, and by the guess of like if you, if you had to guess judging by like the, kind of the hired hands that they had at Eden Parish mm-hmm. um, I would have to guess it was probably in Africa yeah I, I would guess that as well so yeah like Tony said this place is called Eden Parish so they go there and they interview a handful of people about the parish 
but it's interesting because they'll ask one person, they'll be like, excuse me, you know, would you mind talking to us? And they'll just walk right past them. Yeah. Then the next person, they'll be like, excuse me, can you talk to us? And they'll just give them all the information they want, just free-flowing. Yeah, it sounds like it's just like the best place in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. But also, all the people that they talk to seem to have a troubled past. Mm-hmm. They're either alcoholics, they're drug addicts, they were homeless, they were involved in crime. Yeah, there are a couple of brothers that were just from the hood, basically. Right, and like one woman was a recent widower, or mm-hmm. widow. Um, so, yeah. In other words, people with manipulatable minds. Yes, that's, 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 that's the thing, yeah. All very uh, easily convinced. Uh, looking for salvation. Yeah. Um, this the, the cast in this movie is pretty much the cast of Your Next. Right. Uh, A.J. Bowen plays Sam. Uh, Jake was played by... Joe Swanberg. Joe Swanberg. Thank you. And uh, Amy Simitz plays Patrick's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, all... all, all Three of them yep. appeared in Your Next. Yeah, we were watching this. We as talk- well as Ty West. Ty West also appeared in Your Next. Right. Um, when we were watching this, we were kind of talking about this kind of like, oh, like, like, like this kind of incestual horror, horror family. That's yeah, it was kind like of this developing. new school horror clique. Yeah. And it's like, it kind of feels like Eli Roth is like the father the figure. Father. <laughs> um, uh, that's where it comes around. Full circle here. Yeah, because father. there is a character who just goes by the name of Father. I mean, that's everything. We're done. <laughs> no, we're Drop not done. Mike. I, I, I'm kidding. We're not done. Keep uh, talking. Father is... Keep the, talking. Fa- Keep talking. Shut up. Father is the leader of Eden Parish. And he, he basically brought all these people here, had them build this place up from the dirt, and they bow to his every whim. Yeah, um, he, at one point, uh, Sam, uh, sets up an interview with Father, and he presumed that it was going to be kind of a one-on-one thing, um, you know, in his office or wherever, but no, Father had other plans in mind. It was going to be in front of the entire congregation, and Sam, somebody you can tell is a very alpha personality um kind of knows how to get information out of people you know i assume that's kind of where that comes from you know doing repeated interviews and being a journalist exactly um and you know it it definitely takes a certain kind of person to do that kind of thing um just to be forceful and um what's the word i don't know um like, I mean, you listen to our interviews. We don't ask the probing questions. No. I don't want to probe our guests. I don't think they'd like that. We talk about cunt pickles. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sam does this interview in front of the entire congregation, and Father has such a way of speaking. And he actually talks about this later, like after the interview. He has such a way of speaking that makes it sound like he's answering a question, but he's not. Like, he, he will take a question and kind of turn it on its head and just start talking. Um, and as he, st- as he speaks, if you really 
if you really focus on what he's saying, it's getting further and further away from the question that was asked, and he actually ends up never answering the question itself. But he also does it in a way that kind of works the crowd up into a frenzy. Exactly. He gets the crowd on his side and that's, by saying things that are in no way associated with what the question was. Mm-hmm. And a, a good a person that knows how to lead a crowd knows that that's like the key like to winning, uh, uh, not winning, but getting the crowd whipped into a frenzy, like you said, that's like the key to controlling the conversation. Um, Which is, you know, why he did it in front of the crowd, I'm sure. Because he wanted to have them on his side. So to easier manipulate Sam away from the fact that he wasn't answering the questions. Yeah, and... Because if if Sam sits there in front of all these people who are now cheering for Father and is like, no, you didn't answer my question... He's going to look like a dick. Yeah. And all these people are going to hate him. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me. at the end of the interview, uh, well, this is kind of where father decided the end of the interview was. He says, you know, if you don't have anything else, we got a party to get to. And Sam just basically says, yeah, but I think that's it. And then it shows afterwards. Sam is speaking with Jake. He says, I have this entire like he has a little kind of a, like a little notebook. Like, um, you know, probably about the size of a playing card, but, you know, it looked like it had like a couple dozen pieces of paper, you know, pages in it. Like it was all full, filled with questions. And he says, look, I only got through about a quarter of the questions I was going to ask. Yeah. And like he recognized then and there that he has a way about him. Yeah, that was the quote he said. Yeah. He has a way about him. Um, And so, I mean, I think I think we've all known people like Father in our lives. I'm sure, yeah. Maybe not to that extreme, but... Oh, no, definitely not, but somebody that can... Hopefully not. <laughs> um, somebody that can basically manipulate your thoughts uh, in a way that you don't even realize is happening. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a very interesting character. And um, So what did you think about the the kind of pseudo-found footage... It was interesting because it felt like it kind of switched in and out. A little bit. I mean, it was always kind of presented as a uh, first-person perspective, I guess. You know, always from, from the cameraman's perspective. It was never from, like, a outside view, like a normal True, movie. yeah. But there was also cuts. Yeah. Like, especially during his final speech. Mm-hmm. Um, father's final speech. There's one camera on him. The the one that uh, Caroline is that her name? Yes. The the one that she's holding. That's the, the the only camera that's on him, and yet he'll the the audio will stay consistent over the whole thing. But it'll be on him, and then it'll cut to people in the audience. It'll cut to someone else, and it'll all of a sudden be to the side of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, also there was a lot of music. I mean, it was very subtle, very subtle music. If you if you weren't sensitive to it, I guess you wouldn't even notice it, which I, which is probably the point. Yeah, but I mean that like because it's it's not necessarily billed as I mean it's billed as found footage, not like just raw footage, right? So it, if they were doing it in like a documentary style, then that could obviously be put in editing later. Yeah, and you know something that I had actually. I, I mentioned this last time I recorded this is um, it was presented in a way that I, I call it pseudo found footage because 
like I said, it was it was shot, and it was constantly always from a cameraman's perspective. I mean, like uh, you knew a cameraman was filming something at all times, but it was all, it wasn't so much like it wasn't presented in a way that a lot of found footage movies are. In that it's like, oh, we found these tapes, and now we're showing them to you. It was more presented in a way that, like, you're here with us. Yeah. And these things are happening right now. So not so much found footage, just now footage. Yeah. I guess. To, to Immersionism. Co- there you go. That's the word they used at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, so that's, that's definitely the feel that I got from it. And yeah. that, that's why I was able to enjoy this a lot more than I would an average found footage movie. Yeah, I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ty West, as a director, has a very specific style. Yes. Um, I personally have not seen The Innkeepers, but from what you've told me, it fits this style. As far as House of the Devil is especially this style. But his movies are always in three acts, and the first two acts are always tons and tons of character development. Yeah. And then the third act is shit hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. And this movie is no exception. No, it's really not. Um, but luckily, as opposed to just, let's say, House of the Devil, because we've both seen it. As opposed to it being very mundane. Like, you know, you, you find out about the characters, but they're not very interesting people. House of the Devil is two-thirds about a girl sitting in a house eating pizza. Exactly. Um and you know the kind of the hit shit hits the fan moment, like you said, it's not really till like almost. I don't even know if I'd say two thirds of the way. I'd say it's almost the end. It really is in that one, yeah. Um, and so this one is different in that the character development is interesting because you've got interesting characters. Right. They're not normal people. Like uh, I can't remember the character's name in House of the Devil, but she's just she's a college girl. Looking to make some money. Right. I mean, not prostituting, but <laughs> <laughs> she's babysitting an old lady, basically, to make some money. Who, you know, that's something that you and I, you you or I or anyone could be doing. Yeah. Just to earn some extra scratch, especially if you're going to college. And the fact that, like, for most of that movie, she is the only character on screen. Yeah. Um, and, but this, they're kind of people that you might not necessarily know and that's what makes it interesting you know you've got a film crew from a um kind of a i don't want to call them extreme but kind of a a new agey type journalism company not necessarily people you know unless you live in like brooklyn then you probably know like a dozen of them (laughs) (laughs) or you know san francisco or something um and then, uh, you know, you've got a congregation of people that basically live in a cult. Just these far-out characters. That, and that I think that's what really draws you in and makes this different than Ty West's other movies. To kind of put it, like, visually, like, House of the Devil, I would say, is pretty flat with a spike at the end. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one kind of builds up. Yeah, it's kind of, a, yeah, always an upward incline. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, towards the end, it kind of maybe takes even a little jump yeah yeah but yeah always building 
in this one, and that that's what made this a lot more enjoyable than his other movies. And what's interesting about like you take that style plus a story that you already know in you know the Jonestown Massacre. Yeah. That if you're like I said, if you're familiar with it, you already know this movie. Mm-hmm. And yet still, you're really interested in what happens next. Yeah. For sure. Um, this is for yeah. That that's what, that makes it impressive. Yeah. Is that it can keep you interested and even guessing a little bit even though you basically know what's going to happen yeah you know what's going to happen you don't know how it's going to get there and that's yeah. that's the thing that keeps you interested yeah um so yeah, I, don't, I don't really want to give away the ending even though like i said if you know jonestown you know how it ends but at one point there's people that want to leave the the people who are already there mm-hmm. the eden parish congregation for better well like a better word they want to leave and they want um sam and jake to take them on the helicopter but, um, you know, they obviously can't fit them all in a helicopter. And so that's, that's really the, the dam breaking. Yeah. And what's interesting is that Father starts saying that these men, talking about the, the guys from Vice, whether they leave or whether they stay, this is the end for, for Eden Parish. Yeah. You know, he says if they stay... People are going to come looking for them. Mm-hmm. If they leave, they're going to go tell our story, and the government's going to come looking for us. Yeah. So my question is, why did he let them come in the first place? Yeah, that's something I couldn't figure out. Um, unless he had... I don't know. I mean, like, the only thing I can figure is that I know at one point it seemed like Caroline was trying to get Patrick to stay and that in turn was trying to get her parents to give Patrick money for the parish. And so that's my, that's why I think they let Patrick come. And, you know, I think maybe in the end, that's why they let, um, Sam and Jake, um, come too, because like, you know, at the very beginning, when they first get there and they're being stopped by, you know, armed guards, Patrick says, you know, I, I can't leave them here. You know, the helicopter just left. They're my friends. I, I'm not going to leave them here. They have to come with me. And so that might be because they the parish was so desperate to get that money that that um, they thought they could get from his parents. They just went with it. Could be, yeah. That's, I mean, that's just speculation. I mean, it never really... Yeah, it wasn't really spelled out. Yeah. Um, so, what didn't you like about the movie? I didn't think it needed to be found footage. Okay. I thought the movie could have been equally successful in a cinematic style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the way it ended, like the, the very, very end where like I'll go ahead and say it because it's not really that detrimental to the story where um, Sam and Jake get on the helicopter and and leave and then he just clicks off the camera and that's the end of the movie I thought that was just like that feels like a prototypical end to a found footage movie yeah Um, although having characters survive that's something that's a little out of the norm yeah true um I mean, especially things that have made 
surprising deaths popular, you know, like like paranormal activity. Um, it's kind of become the norm almost for the, all the characters to die. <laughs> right. So to see that not happen, that's that's kind of like... And one of the cameras and, was left behind. So clearly there was some kind of investigation or whatever that led to the right. finding. So it wasn't like they needed to escape in order to have the footage be found. Right. Um, and also I wondered, because it, it, it even specifically calls it a documentary. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to be a documentary, doesn't it seem like they should have interviewed Sam and Jake? <laughs> One would think. Um, that might just be an oversight. Um, what did you not like about it? One, you know, it, it's pretty minor in the grand scale of things, but one minor thing that really just sticks out like a sore thumb to me. At one point, I think it's Sam asked Jake, "Why are you filming? Or you know, why are you still filming this? You know, very, you know, people at home watching." found footage where he's asked themselves that same question and then he actually says basically something along the lines that like some you know somebody's want to, gonna want to hear the story or you know somebody's want to see this yeah yeah it's like oh come on I think it was actually people need to see this something that, yeah something to, to that effect it's like oh blow me <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see what else you know I, I'm sure there's other things but I there's not coming to me right now but yeah, uh, I will say the way that Caroline kills herself. Spoiler, pretty dramatic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not to be sexist, but that's such a woman way to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just all, all fucking with the theatrics, man. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, so. I guess let's, let's let's I think let's cut it there and let's talk about ratings. Okay, um, I liked it. I don't know that I would say that I loved it. I would watch again. Probably wouldn't seek it out. Yeah, but maybe like if it popped up on Netflix and I didn't have anything else to watch, and or if you know somebody else was watching, it, I wouldn't. And the stars just, aligned. Yeah, um, so I'm gonna go ahead. And I'm gonna give it a six. Right. Um, I think I I would probably give it a five if it weren't for the fact that Ty West actually, like I mentioned, he actually managed to pull me into this one as opposed to boring me half to death with like his other movies. Um, this is actually very interesting, even though it was a concept that wasn't exactly new, especially because it was taken almost exactly from Jonestown. Like I said, it's like step by step. I mean, except you add in the the factor of there being a film crew there. Aside from that, it's almost Jonestown to a T. Yeah. Um, but like I said, the fact that it was interesting, interesting uh, story, to an, to an effect, um, interesting characters, and um, a constantly building um, story, like like you like you mentioned. Um, so. All that considered, I think I, I probably match what you gave and say a six. Okay, so I think we're running long on time again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's jump into vampires. 
Have you ever seen a vampire? Forget whatever you've seen in the movies. It's not like they're seducing everybody in sight with cheesy Euro trash accents, all right? They don't turn into bats. Crosses don't work. You want to kill one? You drive a wooden stake right through his heart. We think we got a nest inside this place. And chances are we'll find a master in here somewhere. I know your parents were bitten by vampires and you were raised by the church to be its master slayer. No one knows vampires better than he does. Oh my, baby. But he met his match when he met the master who started it all. Jack Crow. He was a priest. It's the first known case of vampirism. The first and most powerful. You are the only one who faced Alec and survived. The master vampire has a telepathic link with his victims. <laughs> You're gonna help us find them. The cross. For 600 years, Valak has wanted to live in the daylight. A master vampire able to walk in the sun, unstoppable. Biggest nest of blood-drinking mothers the world has ever known. Time to kill some vampires. James Woods From the master of terror comes a new breed of evil John Carpenter's Vampires You never told me they could do that I didn't know they could do that Okay, so this movie uh, is one of my favorite vampire movies. Uh, is John Carpenter's Vampires, um, starring <laughs> James Woods as the main character, which is very interesting casting. Um, and basically, uh, you see me? No. Oh. Um, this is from uh, 1998, as I said, directed by John Carpenter, and it's probably his last good movie i think i know he semi-retired shortly after this um and there were actually there's one direct sequel that was i think directed by john carpenter and then another one that basically used the title but wasn't actually associated with this oh really uh, yeah um anyway uh, but this is a good movie despite the odd casting anyway um so this movie centers around at least to start with a team that is a, a team of vampire hunters that's funded by the Vatican. Um, they basically track down a nest of vampires and kick the door in and basically drag all the vampires inside out into the daylight and let them burn. Um, Jack Crow, who's played by James Woods, he's kind of like the head of this vampire hunting crew. Um, his one goal for this hunt is he is absolutely convinced that there's a master vampire in this house. Um, to his disappointment, he found he didn't find one. As they leave this house, uh, a, ma- a master vampire named Valak kind of unearths himself. Valak. Not Valak. He is kind of a dick, though. Hey-oh. Hey, um, he unearths himself, you know, probably about 50 yards away from the house, 
next, you know, next to a tree where he can't be seen. Um, Very sneaky, Death. Um, later on, the crew, they're just, they're celebrating their kill. They killed something like a dozen vampires in this nest. Um, and they're just getting fucked up. They got hookers and bows and drugs and shit. And uh, while they're partying, Valak, like a dick, <laughs> crashes the party and slaughters everyone. Save for a hooker who he had just recently bitten. Um, and this seems like in this movie it's not the 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 typical zombie or not zombie vampire lord where you have to share blood like they drink like vampire drinks from you you drink for the vampire and that creates vampirism it kind of looks like it just it has you have to be bitten and then you're a vampire but it's a slow growing process and anyway so this um, prostitute named Katrina uh, Jack uh, and his buddy Ma, um, Montoya, who is played by uh, a very underrated Baldwin. Really? <laughs> is he? <laughs> hey, he's got his act together now. Uh, played by Daniel Baldwin. Um, they are the only survivors from this. Um, they run, and they're being chased down by Valak and manage to escape him finally. Uh, they take the purposely take Katrina with them because they know that every new vampire has a mental or a psychic link with its master. Um, and so they feel like they could use that before she fully turns. Um, as I mentioned before, the vampire hunting program... <laughs> program? Like it's an after-school program or something. <laughs> they get grants for that? Intramurals or something. Um, it, but like I said, it's run by the Vatican, funded and organized by the Vatican. Um, so Jack returns to um, his boss, essentially, who's uh, uh, Cardinal Alba, um, where he, Cardinal Alba is with another uh, a priest, uh, Father Adam, and Jack. that's when Jack tells him that his entire crew has been slaughtered. Um, and he says that he's basically going to go back out and hunt this vampire down, and the cardinal tells him not to, that he has to return to kind of their home base and recruit a new team, and then he can go after him. And they explain who Valak is. He's actually a priest that revolted against the church centuries ago. Um, and in an attempt, because they, they felt that he was, the, the Catholic church thought he was possessed by demons. And in an attempt to exorcise him, they actually exercised his soul rather than the demons so he is basically a dead body walking around with demons inside of it yep. um, and hence becoming the hence. first vampire uh, so that was a plot twist <laughs> what a twist um, so uh, yeah, I mean basically the rest of the movie is um Jack trying to kind of rally what's left of his group, which is, like I said, it's just him, Montoya, this priest, Father Adam, and um, the hooker. The hooker. They try to get them rallied and 
take on Valak. Um, and it just uh, kind of proceeds from there. Um, as I mentioned, I, I love this movie. I think it, it, it's it has kind of a classic nature to it, I guess. Um, in that it's not modern vampires. Like something like 30 Days of Night, you know, where yeah. they're... You know, they've got a mouthful of razor-sharp teeth, and, you know, they um, are, like, impossible to kill. Um, they're just, you know, classic vampires. You know, you stab them in the heart to kill them. Sunlight burns them. They have two pointy teeth. Yeah, it's kind of a modernization of, like, the classic vampire story. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I thought was interesting and that I actually liked um, that was a little bit of a modernization is that the religious lores associated with um, vampires, uh, Jack actually reveals that those are untrue. You know, crosses don't work. Garlic doesn't work. Um, I think holy water doesn't work. So basically, you're stuck with sunlight and a, and a wooden stake in the heart. Or beheading, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I really liked that, that they took, despite there being obviously a religious affiliation in the movie, those religious aspects were taken out. Yeah. So, um, another thing that I liked was the fact that, again, they're not these modern vampires and they don't, they don't turn into dust when they burn or when you stake them. Um, which I think was something that probably started with kind of, you know, Joss Whedon and like, um. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in that I, th- I think it was probably a way or originally a way for Buffy to slay vampires and there not to be a trail of bodies behind her um, so that you know they just turned into a pile of dust and easily explained away and that's kind of become the norm I think that you know you, you stake a vampire and it turns into dust but this doesn't quite predate it it came out around the same time before that became popular, but I like that these are classic vampires. You stab it in the heart, and it, it dies. It doesn't turn into a cloud of dust. Yeah, and then when you get it in the sun, it basically barbecues. Yeah, it doesn't, Yeah, it doesn't. again, turn into dust. It just turns into basically a, you know, into char, basically. Yeah, like all the flesh burns off, and it's just a charred skeleton. Yeah, um, so that was cool. Um, and then this, this Valak is his plan is to get this cross the Bercier cross Ber, uh, the, yeah the Bercier cross Bercier and uh, um, that, that'll that make him invincible yeah it's not quite clear on how that works it, it basically I mean he's a he's a master vampire so he's also or he's already like superior to most vampires as far as strength um, and you know endurance you know all that stuff He's already superior to a normal vampire, but this ceremony that he's attempting to make, or, you know, uh, what's the word? Do? (laughs) There's a better word, but I can't think of it. Conduct? Um, There you go. Um, Will make him immune to the effects of the sun. Yeah, they never really, I mean, as far as I got, they never really explained what the ceremony was. Yeah, yeah, I mean... But I was drinking. (laughs) 
Because um, at one point he does get the cross. Yes. But he apparently doesn't do whatever it is needs to be done. Well, he can't conduct the ceremony. Because he, well, he, he attempts to, but he, he hasn't. He's unable. He gets to, interrupted? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, yeah, and this cross was actually used in his exorcism, and I think that's that's why it's, he seeks it out. Um, that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, and this was something that, that uh, Jack was pretty much unaware of, and so when he found out, he was a little upset. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Uh, he, t- he takes it upon himself to pretty much kick the shit out of Father Adam, because if Father Adam, you know, he's, he's really green in the gills. I mean, he's... Uh, I don't know that he's necessarily a new priest, but he's definitely new to the whole vampire hunting world. Yeah. And doesn't seem to know a lot. Um, and, you know, a seasoned veteran like Jack doesn't seem to take kindly to his ignorance. So, I mean, they're driving together. He pulls over, pulls him out of the truck, and just kicks the shit out of him on the side of the road. So, And that, that, that was basically just to show him that he could. Yeah. <laughs> basically who the boss is, yeah. Um, and um, that's when he kind of explains to him like what it is to hunt a vampire and kind of his backstory because Jack actually his father was bitten by a bam- vampire and he I mean he's telling the story to Father Adam his father was bitten by a vampire vampire comes home doesn't tell anybody turns bite, bites and kills his mother and then Jack had to kill his own father yep so he's had an interesting life He's battle hard. Yeah, there was some uh, some funny moments in this that like not like written as comedy, but just that I found funny, like the drunk priest. <laughs> like you, you mentioned the the party that they're having after they wipe out the nest, and the the original priest that they had, uh, what was his name? Uh God, um, something Italian, Father, something. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> But yeah, he's just like drunk. Yeah, he's shitty drunk. And it's it's funny because he's a priest. Father Giovanni. Giovanni. Told you it was something Italian. I was gonna say Giuseppe. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> They're both Italian names. Um. So yeah, uh, you know, he talked, kind of joked about Daniel Baldwin being kind of a kind of a hack, but I thought he actually did pretty well in this. I mean, his his part was. He's a main character, but his part was kind of minimal, so I think that was probably No, good. this is Billy Baldwin. <laughs> if you want Daniel Baldwin, call his extension, stupid. <laughs> hey, Steven, you know what sucks about being a Baldwin? What? Nothing. Ah. <laughs> um, anyway. Anyway, Baldwins. So that... Uh, yeah, Daniel Baldwin himself, I thought he did all right. I mean, it was a little, little hammy. But, yeah, he did, was definitely pretty hammy at times. Um, but I would have liked to see a something I didn't like was the dynamic between him and the hooker, Katrina. It was it was a little weird. It was it seemed forced to me, um, in that they're hanging out. I mean, they're together for like like two days. And, like, they start building this, like, romantic relationship. And, yeah. like, he's so committed to her and wants to keep her safe. It's like, for Christ's sake, she's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
She may be a vampire, but she's a whore. She's a dead whore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I would have liked to see more vampire battles. Like, actual fighting. I mean, there's a lot... This was definitely an action movie. Which leads me again back to casting James Woods in the, in the lead <laughs> in an action movie. Yeah. It's, as a badass. Yeah. Which was fine. I I loved the character. He was he was funny and he, he played it well. Um but yeah, it's it's not somebody that I would have picked, you know, it just wouldn't it wouldn't have even occurred to me. I would pick somebody like John Stamos. <laughs> it was nineteen ninety eight, he was hot then, okay. <laughs> yeah, you thought he was hot. As his star burning bright, not attractiveness. His beautiful star. Yes. I don't know what that means, but... It means you're in love with him. You're in love with Uncle Jesse. I mean, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Maybe you guys can hang out and just eat oikos together. Eat what? Oikos. What the hell are oikos? Oikos. What the hell is that? It's Greek yogurt. Stupid. Oh, that he does a commercial for? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, because he's Greek. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Full house. So what did you like about the movie? I liked the old school feel of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's from 98, but it kind of had that like classic movie feel. Yeah, like Hammer. Yeah. 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 Um, I liked towards the end when Jack sacrificed his body. When he like threw himself into the pole so that the roof would collapse. Oh, <laughs> like it, it seemed totally unnecessary. But it was just like, <laughs> gotta sacrifice the body. <laughs> um, uh, I liked the like backstory of the vampire. Gave it like a little more reason to why this vampire is different than other vampires. It's, yeah, it kind of made him a little three more like more three dimensional. Yeah, rather than just yeah, like another vampire, more, like a little more twelve dimensional. <laughs> yeah. That all important all important twelfth dimension. Um Yeah. And I like the drunk priest. Sure. Yeah. Um did you like the hookers? Yep. And the movies? Yep. No, um I think one of my favorite things about it was that vampire hunting I mean, because obviously this is like a um like a, like I said, a uh, Vatican-funded project um, and organization um, that vampire hunting was like like almost a science. Yeah. Like very advanced. Well, not, not even necessarily advanced, but very um, I don't know, meticulous. Yeah. Weaponry. I mean, um, they've got like assumed like. Like stainless steel spears with like headlights mounted on them, <laughs> um, and you've got these uh, you know these pretty brutal looking. Um, they're like medieval looking almost. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet they're like chrome and like yeah, yeah, like really like high polished steel or something. Yeah. Um, and then like they have a the crossbow, which is kind of like almost like they're. Almost their main weapon, I would say, because what they would do is they would find a vampire 
in a nest, presumably. Um, and they would kind of beat it down to where it's kind of submissive a little bit. They would launch a crossbow bolt into its chest, and then that bolt was actually connected to a tow wire uh, strapped up to a winch on the jeep outside, and they would actually drag the vampire out into the sunlight. And that was like their kind of main way of killing the vampires. Yeah. And um, we also discussed before about the stake. Yeah. The stake that they have is like, it's kind of a cone. Yeah. And uh, it's like, you know, very smooth. And then the handle is like an hourglass shape and it's got like metal accents around it. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's very pretty. Yeah. Like it's not just like a, you know, railroad spike or something yeah. that they took out of the ground. It's like a designed specifically for this purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like the kind of chrome um, accents on it. You know, there's like a, like a band of metal around like kind of where the cone meets the handle. Um, and then on, there's like a like a metal cap on the end of the handle that just makes it very, you know, deliberate. This, this is like something that's designed, like you said, designed for hunting vampires. It's not just a sharpened stick. Right. You're not going to pitch your tent with it or anything. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the weaponry was was, uh, was cool. And the, there wasn't a lot of it. I mean, they, they had basically just some standard tools that they'd use. Um, but the, the, the weaponry they had was very planned out and organized. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of, like, a kind of vampire movies that we've seen. You know, take, like, a movie like, I don't know, Fright Night, I guess. In that, like, yeah, they go after him with stakes. And aside from Peter Vincent, who is, you know, like a vampire hunter, the stakes they use, they're, like, sharpened... Um, you know, picket fence uh, uh, posts. Posts. Thank you, um, and broom handles and things like that. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what didn't you like? Um, I don't know if I would say I didn't like it, but I did find James Woods as a curious casting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think that the acting was a little bit over the top at times. Uh, Daniel Baldwin, like we said. Also, the the girl that played Katrina was a little... Like, when she was doing the, the psychic mind meld things, that was... It looked like she was about to throw up and shit her pants. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then the, the, the guy that played Valak was over the top at times, too. Thomas Ian Griffith, yeah. a.k.a. Terry Silver. Yes, Terry Silver, we know. I haven't said that yet. But you've said it to me a thousand times. Deal with it. <laughs> These people need to know. Terry Silver, the bad guy from Karate Kid 3. Nobody cares about Karate Kid 3. Shut up. I like Karate Kid 3. It has Hillary Swank. No, it doesn't. That's the next Karate Kid. That's like technically Karate Kid 4. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Yeah. God damn it. Anything else? Uh, I don't know. No. Uh, I think what I didn't like about it um was didn't explain the whole ceremony very much like exactly how he was going to become invincible and why the uh, the cross of Berzier was important I mean like I said it, it was it was involved in his fu- uh, in his funeral procession 
Yeah, but you never really knew what he was supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't understand why a cross that using using his funeral would give him uh, invincibility. I mean, make him uh, invulnerable to the to the sun. It didn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, and uh, the other thing was like his team at the beginning. I mean, they weren't in it for very long. But his entire team was made up of stuntmen that I'd seen in other movies, and only as stuntmen. <laughs> I mean, there were no other familiar faces. Well, I mean, they're only in the movie for like ten minutes. Yeah, that's uh, understandable. But I'd almost rather they used to use people I haven't seen before. Of course, I don't know. Maybe most people wouldn't even notice. I guess, but I did. <laughs> Kane Hodder got to start as a stuntman. Okay, he still kind of is a stuntman a little bit. There you go. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. anything else I want to talk about? I don't know. Is there? I don't know. Also, I won't say what it is in case any, you know, anybody listening hasn't seen it. I didn't really like the ending. I thought it was kind of soft. Flaccid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see what you mean. I mean, this is definitely kind of a walk off into the sunset type ending. It absolutely was. And it's, it wasn't suited. I mean, the, the, the whole movie was almost like, kind of like a Western. Yeah. And I think that might have been what they were going for. Um, especially the fact that almost all of it took place in the desert. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I didn't like the ending. I mean, I'm not a big fan of westerns, so maybe that's part of it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I think with a little more planning, they could have definitely come up with a better you know last ten minutes or so. But I can see that. Anyway, um, so I'm sure we are very over on time again. So I think we're gonna have to face it that we're just we're a three hour podcast now. All right. Anyway, so it's just more value. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not paying nothing. I mean, it's only every every two weeks, so you can pause and restart. And it's not always three hours. It has been <laughs> the last couple ones. I'm just saying, like, you don't have to listen to it all in one shot. You, you know, listen to an hour now, an hour this weekend, an hour next Wednesday. Yeah, you know, if you have a problem with it, you know, kiss our ass. Is Asses. Collective asses. Both of them. At the same time. Yep. It's a lot of ass kissing. Yep. You got to have a big mouth. And just SRDs. Little BRLs all over your T's. <laughs> BLT. <laughs> You're fat. <laughs> all right. Um, ratings. Sex. All right. Um, well, uh... As I said, I really like this movie. Probably one of my favorite vampire movies. You did say that. Yep. Um, and that being the case, despite its shortcomings, I am still going to give it a seven. We did it. Hopefully. We haven't gone back and checked it yet, but hopefully it's uh, it's all good. Oh, well, yeah. I, I Honestly, I think it's the connection between our mixer and my computer. Something just is happening there. 
that just doesn't mesh. Uh, hopefully it's your computer and not the mixer because we have a backup computer. We don't have a backup mixer. Yeah. But anyway, um, but no, I meant we made it to the end of the episode. Oh, yes, that we did. <laughs> um, and yeah, ran a little long again, but whatever. Like I said, that's just the way it is now. Yeah, it's our thing now. Yep. We're, um, we're the three-hour podcast. <laughs> it's not as bad as some. I mean, I know some... I mean, like, take, like, the the, like the Midnight Podcast that was popular in its time. But sometimes that would run, like, four hours. And that was every week. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how Corey managed to do that, but it was insane. Um, all right, so um, I guess that's it. Yeah, thanks for uh, sticking with us. Sorry this episode is late. Yeah, technical difficulties are a bitch. But, I mean, we gave you the glorious drunken cinema to tide you over yeah so hopefully you enjoyed that hopefully you enjoyed this that was a favorite of ours so we really hope you enjoyed it um make sure you head to graveplotpodcast.com for all your graveplot podcast needs uh and also check out we are too young to die.com um wayne and hank's movie yeah give them uh give them your support and you know spread the word about it um, next episode, uh, we are going to be reviewing the movies Torment and Compound Fracture. Um, so those should be interesting. Yep, and uh, we are trying to set up an interview for that episode as well. Yes. Uh, we don't want to reveal what it is or who it is, um, because then we'll look like dicks if we announce it. Yep. And it doesn't happen. Um, but we're working on it. So, um Thanks for joining us here on the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletor. And I am Taylor of Terror. And we are all just a little dead inside. Cunt pickle! Take care.